0: Uh, The Colts play a football game tomorrow. The Pacers play their first basketball game of a very new era tonight. That's a preseason opener. Heard Scott Agnes say yesterday, Jake, it's the only non-televised preseason game in the NBA this year.
1: Really? They got G League games on, which I watched. Does
0: that mean you can't watch it even if, if you're out of state on League Pass? I don't think so. Um, we'll have Jeremiah Johnson on a little bit later to confirm that. And I don't want to turn this into like a 701 rant on the NBA versus the NFL. But, Jake, I do find it odd that I just sat there during training camp and watched every single open practice. Colleen Bowen could have gone to Grand Park every single day and watched every single open practice and watched every single preseason game. And the Pacers have all closed training camp practices, and I assume that's kind of the norm for the NBA, and now the first preseason
1: game of the year and you can't watch it? The only counter I would have to that, which is strictly, I mean, not an explanation at all, is that in the NBA, you still get an opportunity to watch your team 80 times a year, and in the NBA, it's 16 times. That's the only thing I can counter with.
0: Yeah, just seems odd, and... Again, I don't want to turn it into like uh, Patriots Colts. or NBA, I, you NFL, know, it's just like, wouldn't well, you think you would want some eyes on the operation from a practice preseason? Well, from standpoint? a practice
1: though, like where where would you allow people in? Well, I, mean, I would think it. more
0: of just the media, open to the media. Well, that is. I mean,
1: what do they shoot free throws at the yeah, end? I mean, that's true. Yeah.
0: But uh, yeah, Pacers open up tonight in Charlotte. Uh, did you? Good Wednesday morning. Now you by mentioned the
1: way. A Colleen Bowen. That's your mom. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think she went to one training camp practice this year. Actually. <laughs> really? Yeah, I think she took Rosie to one. She could take notes on depth on charts and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she she when she saw Desmond <laughs> Patman cut yesterday, she texted that? me and said, "Wait, I thought he was one of those whiteouts that Chris Bauer was talking about uh, in the off season." Um, did you watch any of? Mr. Yama last night? I did watch, so
1: this is going to sound terrible. Watched more of the Dahmer show last night. God, you are locked in on Dahmer. Well, here's the thing. So Shannon's like. If you guys don't hear from me for a few days, you know full well (laughs) what's happening. So Shannon was like, I can only watch like one episode per night. Because
2: she enjoys it, but it, it is pretty dark and slow. Mark, where are you on it? Uh, we literally we finished, watched episode four last night. That was a wild one. Episode four was intense. Are any of them not intense or <laughs> I wild? I mean, that that like, was the most intense it, of the four so Was it not so as funny far? as
1: right. you thought it was going to be? I, mean, I didn't what? laugh once.
2: Nomer <laughs> sitting around telling jokes throughout <laughs> no, the he, he He got really wild in episode four. Well, one thing I will say
1: about that show, to answer your question, Kevin, we were watching that, and then when it got over with, I saw a tweet from Bob Kravitz and i'm like oh i forgot that was on and so i turned it on and was kind of flipping back and forth with that g league game and i didn't see there was not a lot of action during the time that i was watching it but i saw some of the highlights so i know that you had not one but two really good players in that game
0: yeah so again victor Webinyama, french 7 what's his official height this is a 7 like 3 7 4, seven, what seven, I four. I, they said uh his french team taking on the g league ignite led by scoot henderson by all accounts the number one and two picks coming up in the 2023 NBA draft, and in Wevin Yama's case, generational-type prospect. He pulled up for that first three, Jake, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, wow, that's more – and it's probably unfair for me to even say it, but that's more Kevin Durant than it is Giannis. Yeah, that's fair. Like because it, it, I mean, it's impressive watching him, like – look like a guard as he pulls into these three point shots. He hit seven you know of what?
1: them last night. The, the easiest way to points. say it, the easiest way to say it I thought was that he looked like Kevin Durant offensively in the body of Rudy Gobert. Yeah. Um but and so he can I, handle it okay for that size. The thing I was going to say about Dahmer by the way, back to that. Mark, you tell me if you agree. You've not watched this, right, Kevin? No. And then we'll get back no. to basketball, uh-huh. I promise. The show is interesting to because and this is, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, and I don't want it to be misunderstood. So, Mark, please have my back here, hopefully, so I don't sound like, you know, whatever. I'm not going to say that they make him a sympathetic character, but, like, there is, however, they do, I mean, you do kind of feel sorry for him because he he's just so off, and he knows it, and he's just, he's awkward, and, like, you... You can tell that he had people in his life that cared about him, but he just, it just was off.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's what happened in episode four, where he's having a conversation with his dad. He's trying—he's about to open up, and he can tell his dad's uncomfortable with where they're going. And he's like, Oh, you should go to Ohio State. And he's like, Okay. And like, so he goes to Ohio State. But right. yeah, it's one of those things. But then you're like, Oh, I feel a little like sympathy for him. And then you see what he's doing. You're like, Okay. I, I don't feel <laughs> totally. sympathy at all. Totally. After yeah. That.
1: But every literally every aspect of his life that they tried to put him on the right path, he failed, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, so how much of the game did you watch last night? I really
0: what? just watched the first quarter. Uh, 37 points for him. He had seven threes and five blocks. I did see someone mention, and again, this is, you know, a glorified college amateur exhibition game. Uh, seven threes and five blocks in a game has only been done one time in NBA history. <laughs> right.
1: You you have this look on your face, like you don't like. I I don't know what else to tell you. This guy's good.
0: (laughs) Yes, like he's rare. He's unique. He's a unicorn. But then Jake, and I'm sure I'll say this a lot between now and whenever the draft is. Are you afraid that it's Chet Holmgren? Are you afraid that he's going to get hurt? Right, right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that body type is just absolutely. Again, he's 18 years old. Like, how is he? I'm not expecting him to have like a ton of weight on his frame, but, you know, Rudy Gobert came to the NBA with, you know, a good amount of weight on that frame. So um, it was fun to watch that last night. He does seem like a pretty good dude, and and um, he's got a, definitely a confidence about him. Um, so, yeah, I found it fitting that that happens last night, and then the Pacers and Hornets will start the preseason tonight. Uh, 6.30, our coverage will begin right here on The Fan Uh, Colts injury report Jonathan Taylor his status up in the air for tomorrow night we'll explain a few more details on that and Jake I felt the need to ask Frank Reich yesterday I'm like Frank that was a bloody scene for Shaquille Leonard on Sunday afternoon is there more than just a concussion there Frank was like yeah he broke his nose um So, when Shaq gets back on the field, it's not only concussion-related, but it's also broken nose-related. They have not ruled out the possibility of injured reserve for him, which you can bring him back off injured reserve, but he'd have to miss four games if that were the move. That would also mean he has to miss practice during that four-week stretch. So, for a guy that has dealt with the back and ankle lingering weird issue for so long, That would be
1: awful if he had to go on injured reserve. I'm trying to think of, there have been years in the past where the cold season was just lost to injuries, where it was just one after another, after another, and you're like, eh. And sometimes that happens. You know, last year, I remember, for the most part, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, but they were pretty healthy last year. They were banged up at the start of the year. That's right. And then they got healthy, and it was like, whoa, this might be the best team in the league. They were very healthy. But... And this year, really, it's been, you know, Pittman missed a game. Well, you remember during camp, I mean, it was like nothing went wrong. Right. The healthiest Grand Park, hell, I mean, the healthiest. The training staff were the Maytag repairmen. I mean, it was like training camp I've seen. Now, I want to go back to what seems like a fairly innocuous move, except for that, to me, it's an indictment on – an area that the Colts have been very adamant about. Were you surprised that Desmond Patman was released?
0: Yeah, I thought they would cut one of those extra offensive linemen. You know, if I were to have said to you, Jake, at the start of the show, who is Luke Tanuda and who is Wesley French?
1: Would you have known who they are? I would have said, actually, uh, Luke Tanuda is French. Would have probably been my guess, right? Which is actually probably what you would have said, shockingly. Um, (laughs) Yeah, they are Colts offensive linemen. Uh, You know, I I thought they would. Where did Luke go to college? I'm going TCU. Mark, your guess? I'll say Maryland. I think Mark's the closest. I believe it's Virginia Tech
0: for Luke Tenuta. Um, So I thought they would. I thought they had an extra number there, and that's where they would make a move. For those curious on why they had to cut Desmond Patman or why they did cut Desmond Patman, Virginia Tech, correct. Uh, Chase McLaughlin is our kicker. The Colts have brought him up from the practice squad three times this season. That is a COVID roster exemption that the NFL adopted a few years ago, and they continue to utilize it. Uh, But you could only do that three times a year for a player. After those three times, then you have to permanently bring them up to the 53-man roster. So for McLaughlin to kick tomorrow night, they had to do that. Um, I do find it a bit odd, Jake, that like Desmond Patman is a guy that Ballard pointed to as a reason that they weren't making a lot of wide receiver moves in the offseason, and they cut him for a street kicker. I. And Patman was the sixth wideout. You
3: know, it, it's I, I not like it. he was
1: helping you out. Mike Strawn would be above him on the depth chart. But, but, I mean, here's the thing. This, to me, this is the problem with the 2022 Colts. Desmond Patman as a receiver or an extraneous receiver was released after four weeks, four games. Outside of Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce, Desmond Patman could have been thrown into a blender with any of three different receiver names, and any of those could have been the one that was announced yesterday's as released, and you would have reacted with the same level of uh, okay. I mean in other words, do they really have depth they have depth at the receiver position based on the fact that as I've said but it's a, a vat of mediocrity, right? And Will I would probably throw Ashton Doolin on the step above. Yeah, no, I'd agree. He, he's played well. That That's... alluding to there. Well Doolin, Doolin has played well but part of why Doolin jumps out at you is because he's he is the one that has exceeded the expectation of him because he was a special teams guy and a and little more than that. So, you know, he he jumps out as like, hey, good for him because he's a good story. But they just I'm – not, I'm not sitting here saying that these guys are all just complete garbage junk heap. Don't get me wrong. There just isn't anybody that jumps out at you.
0: Uh, Russell Wilson limited with a right shoulder injury each of the last two days – um, I don't know. Maybe the Netflix series that you guys are currently binging right now has me thinking like this. The Colts need to hit Russell Wilson in his shoulder
1: on Thursday night. Well, now the, the, that the, pork the, <laughs> the Netflix series, they'd actually be mixing something in his water bottle. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be a little bit more secretive, <laughs> is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, it, yeah. Real, uh, R- Russell, more. can you uh, can you drink this? <laughs> drink it, man. Just drink it.
0: I know it's probably not the time to say it after the two injury, but Jake, anytime a quarterback is on an injury report and a certain body part is listed, if you're able to hit that QB early in a game, um. This probably stating the obvious. It can go a long way to rattling that quarterback and think about Wilson. He likes to hold on to the ball. He likes to take shots down the field. He likes to escape and maneuver. And I think it's critical for the Colts to have a very similar rush plan with Wilson that they did a few weeks ago with Patrick Mahomes. Cause you know, Denver is reeling right now Denver's banged up much more banged up than the Colts. Um, they have struggled offensively just like the Colts have. And, They're in a division where, unlike the AFC South, they know that their margin for error is even small. Like right now, I said glass half full yesterday. Look at the next six games. The Colts don't play a single team with a better than 500 record. Right now, if you look in Vegas, basically it's Jacksonville, Tennessee, and Indianapolis all have the same amount of odds to win the AFC South.
1: That's not the case for Denver. With Russell Wilson, Kevin, he was the one guy that I felt like, and admittedly, I'm probably parroting this. I think I read this somewhere, and then it made sense. I wish I could give credit to where it was. I don't recall. But Wilson is the one quarterback among those that were in his tier, in his in terms of tenure and, and productivity and whatever else. He was the one that I think – probably needs the most built towards his skill set as opposed to just a guy that you could drop in. You, know, you could airdrop Aaron Rodgers into any team, and he's going to be good. You could airdrop Josh Allen into any personnel set around, and he's going to be good. Patrick Mahomes. W- Wilson, Seattle was built in a way that really favored the way that Russell Wilson, um, the time that he takes through reads, the, the, the way that he plays offensively, and I just felt like with Denver, there was the expectation that Russell Wilson was going to go to the Broncos and automatically they were going to become the the level of competitive that Seattle was when he was winning a Super Bowl with them. Well, they had an elite level defense, the Legion, I mean, you know, there were a lot of things going for Russell Wilson in Seattle that I felt like were lacking in Denver and that we're going to take some time and that it was not going to be just an automatic plug and play for Russell Wilson. And while we have been having this conversation in Indianapolis of like, what are the issues here that the Colts have not done for Matt Ryan that have caused Matt Ryan a slow start? I would guess that the morning. What's the morning radio show in Denver, Mark? Do we know?
0: Oh, Oh, I'm going going on one of their shows after our
1: show. Um, I forget what it was called. Um, but Well, first off, the Broncos radio, th- there was a radio station in Denver that was all Broncos all the time. You know that, right? Like it was just a Broncos radio station. The Jim Davis show?
0: That's what Oh, that's on. Garfield.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah. Are you Odie? Um, and so, but I'll bet you they're having the same conversations, right, of like what's going on with Russell Wilson. So my point being, even though he's not one, even if he was 100%, Russell Wilson has not necessarily gotten off to a flying start in Denver, and I think the Broncos are equally enigmatic in terms of why they have not just gotten going. Like, this game tomorrow night between Denver and Indianapolis, I think, are two teams that that have very similar fates right now in terms of the season, and it could be a fork-in-the-road game where one is going to send the other one you know off into a tailspin and the other the winner is going to try to get themselves going and I think it may be Indianapolis that wins a game but I just I don't think that Denver is the team that you had circled on your calendar right now that that you thought it was when you circled Same. It in August. I
0: thought this would be the hardest game the Colts had all year right short week altitude at denver
2: altitudes um, a big
1: one when do they leave
2: uh this afternoon I believe Schlereth and Evans is the uh, morning show. Oh, um, 104.3 The Fan. Mark Schlereth did the Colts game last From week. 6 to 9 a.m., Jake. 6 to 9. Frank what? Wright downplayed what?
0: the altitude yesterday. Said non-factor.
1: Uh, then he is a moron. Has he ever been to Denver? Oh, I I would assume he's probably played football in Denver. I, that's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. We're, we might have to clip out that I, I mean, honestly, that's that, that is such a... That is such a dumbass football machismo thing to say. Foot, we're, we're tougher than that. Do you know about like the, the human body? I, I'm not sitting here saying that Denver is. I, I, I mean, I, I and listen. Maybe this, that's the most critical you've been towards uh, Frank. But Reich. That, that is that is such a that is such a dumbass thing to say. The altitude in Denver doesn't play a. My guys are tougher than that, really. I, why do you think that the United States track and field team trains in Colorado Springs?
0: Ask Frank Reich, is there anything you can do about the altitude in Denver on a short week, his response. Good question. Don't think there was always – I don't think, and then he paused. There was always that mystique about going out there, and I think what we've seen over the years is that it's not that factor that you think it's going
1: to be. Now, that part, that may be true in the fact that – that may be true. It's not the huge determining factor, but if it's a close game late in the fourth quarter, yes, I do think that – opposing teams have a tendency to wear out or cramp faster than would the Broncos. I mean, that's – so I'll, I'll walk back a little bit based on what you said there. I probably should have waited for the totality of the statement. That may be true, but um, but it is a factor. I, I mean, I can just tell you it is a factor. I, I, I've gone out to Denver, and I'm not an elite-level athlete. I get that. I, I totally understand it. But even as a much younger man, when I was running – 25 miles a week in the gym, and I went out to Denver and hiked the Manitou Incline, which is a beast, but I hadn't acclimated yet, and it was brutal, brutal, and then like three days later, went and did Pike's Peak, and was like, oh, okay, and there was a significant difference. It takes about four, now, to Frank Reich's point, I don't know that had they left Right after the game against Tennessee, uh, you know it, it probably does take three days to properly acclimate. So it's kind of six to one half dozen the other. Whether you go that part, I get. It's not like they would have been practicing though this week in that altitude. Yeah, but still, and I don't. You've been to Denver, right? Sure. Did you did you notice it at all? A little bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean to say that like it's n- definitively it's not a factor uh, to me is not accurate. Now is it? I agree with him in the fact that it's not like everybody just collapses in the fourth quarter. I I have always wondered, quite frankly, John Elway, to me, might be the greatest quarterback of all time. Certainly he's in the top five. But I've always wondered for John Elway's record that he had at the time of his retirement of most fourth quarter comeback wins. I've always wondered how many of those were attributed to the fact that they were playing teams in Denver that in the fourth quarter hit the wall. Because it absolutely is a factor.
0: Ball over the wall last night in Texas. Aaron Judge, number 62. Um, Excellent segue, by the way. I'm glad he got to that number. You know, I, I think you saw over the last couple of weeks just the mental grind, if you will, of trying to get from 60 to 61, then 61 to 62. Jake, this is one of the greatest seasons in Major League Baseball history. We probably haven't given it enough of the attention it deserves. I think part of it is just the state of baseball right now, particularly in this market. But this is a guy that's second in the AL right now in batting average. Remark- I would mark Sh- Kyle Schwarber's like 15 home runs behind him. Pete is like 20. I mean, he is doing something that no one else is doing in 2022 MLB. And again, it's not just for power, there is the average with him as well. I found it interesting he hit that homer, like, same spot kind of that he hit the one in Toronto.
1: Looked almost identical. Isn't it funny? If you look at McGuire's record breaker, Judge's record tire, and Judge's record breaker, all of them, almost exact same fashion, exact same spot, exact same height, exa- everything.
0: Yeah, Judge is probably a little bit further to the right.
1: Correct. Than McGuire's. But still, like kind of a line drive-ish, like just barely over. You know what I mean? My favorite part of the home run
0: last night was the guy that immediately lowered his buddy into the bullpen. Did you see that? Smart. So somebody caught the ball, but about 10 feet to the left of where the ball landed, a guy (laughs) would be like, you know, you and I, and I'm like, oh boy, you got to lower me down there because if one of these idiots drops the ball, I need to be
1: in the bullpen to get it. (laughs) That's worth the $150 ticket, right? Or the, I'm saying, you know, the fee or whatever it would be. The trespassing ticket. Darren um, Revell tweeted out who caught the ball. Corey Umans, if I'm saying
0: that correctly. VP at Fisher Investments. They manage $197 billion worldwide.
1: And he's the VP?
0: Don't think he's going to be needing the extra change that comes with that ball.
1: I would think that he he should just give the ball back, should he not? Not going to do that, but nonetheless. What are they saying? Price tag, million or two? Two million
0: minimum. Apparently, ah. already had offers. And today's the final day of the regular season, so I mean, look, you know, I not, think it's cool. I because guess if Judge hits another one, then the value. I'm going to ask down. this
1: question: Would that would that ball be worth the exact same amount if Aaron Judge played for the Seattle Mariners and broke Roger Maris's American League record, or is it the fact that it's the New York Yankee record? I mean I know it's the American League record but the fact that Roger Maris was also a New York Yankee. Yeah, I
2: don't know if it changes too much. I think like, star power plays a role in the team. I think he does. I mean, my point being Like what 300 grand? Well, here's the thing. So why is
1: we have seen this before, you know? We have seen before players hit in the last 25 years, we have seen players hit 62, 66 70, 73 home runs. So what makes his accomplishment revered and unique? Sure, the fact that it's the American League. Uh, does anybody... Uh, let me ask you this. The all-time rushing leader in the NFL is who? Emmitt Smith? Yeah, I believe so. Second place would be who? Is it... Uh, I was going to guess Adrian it, Peterson. Is it Walter... Okay, Adrian Peterson or Walter Are you Payton, talking all-time or single-season? So, so my point being this, like... Is it going to be a huge deal when somebody breaks the record for the AFC's all-time leading rusher? Well, he broke Edron James's record, and he's the all-time leading rusher in the AFC. Or I don't even know who the AFCs would be. But that's the only the only disclaimer here is that it's an American League. He the most for a player that did it in the American League, a- except for that he plays for the New York Yankees, which is the team that Roger Maris played for. That has to be a factor in why this was revered. This is a little nerdy,
0: but I do think the aspect of Schwarber and Pete Alonso being so far behind. I, I don't Judge disagree
1: with that. Further, yeah, I, I don't makes I, I, this such an incredible feat. Well, that's and that's what I've always said. To be honest with you. And now to your point that I agree with, I remember saying when Roger Maris, when his record was so pursued and Bonds and McGuire, or excuse me, Sosa and McGuire were chasing it, I remember saying to people, I don't know if this is as impressive as what Maris and Mantle, a lot of people forget Mantle that year had like 58, of what those two were doing because of the fact that they were so far ahead of the rest of the competition Whereas McGuire's hitting seventy home runs, sure, but like, you know, Luis Gonzalez is hitting fifty five. You know what I mean? I mean, to your point, that that's a fair, that is a fair point. What he is doing
2: in terms of yeah, Brady how Anderson for the Orioles, yeah. you know, yeah. Matt on Twitter says, "Let's be honest, if he played yeah. for the Oakland Athletics, nobody would care." I, see, I I, 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 tad harsh, but
0: there probably is a little validity to that. By the way, I'm looking here to. I see. I mean, the, let's be
2: honest. We haven't talked a lot about Aaron Judge on this show. No. 'cause I think you know what the records are despite what some writers want you to think. This is the new record. Um I think someone Curtis Martin by the way would be the all-time leading AFC rusher.
0: Someone from the cult organization stopped me yesterday and said that the fire should be a little bit hotter for Chris Ballard than we're alluding to on the show and I found that interesting from someone inside of the building so we'll touch on that a little bit later in the show Dan Orlovsky offered uh, I guess you could look at it as a bit of optimism for the Colts Uh, we'll explain that Stephen Holder at eight o'clock Jeremiah Johnson 830 I know it's an NBA thing but again why why can't I watch this preseason game tonight uh I can't answer that that's That's just frustrating And I have put a financial stake down on the Pacers and the over on their win total. <laughs> I will not tell it's Maddie. one 800 with I, it. I, I'm not going to tell Maddie until maybe like the new year. And maybe if we're progressing in the manner that we need to be towards this bet, then I might let her know at that <laughs> point. But let's just keep it between us um, for now. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts. You usually hear him on Fridays with us. Uh, is that 930 today, Mark? Correct. Yep. yep. Matt Taylor, before he heads off to Denver, he will join us to preview Thursday night football. Looks like a nice Wednesday here in Indianapolis. Kevin Aquari, 93.5 on a seven-five. The Fan.
4: The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at ballstatesports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
0: So it's a very important name on the Colts injury report this week. That would be Jonathan Taylor. Injured his ankle late in Sunday's loss to Tennessee. Uh, Yesterday, during the walkthrough portion of the Colts practice, I guess the entire practice, I should say, was walkthrough, Taylor was on a golf cart wearing a boot on his right ankle. He said he plans to play, but this is something that I think will go right up until kickoff test it out in pregame warm-ups uh if the colts want to they can promote philip Lindsay from their practice squad who has some history in the nfl they can do that on thursday afternoon um, something that frank reich noted yesterday jake is they don't believe that taylor could do further damage by playing on this particular injury um, so i guess this is more of a pain threshold effectiveness with
1: him uh, that's the thing listen I know that how often when a guy goes out and, and or, or, or does not play or gal in any sport, how often is it because they're trying to prevent further injury versus the player just simply can't execute to full throttle because they're hurt, because, because it's a boo-boo and it hurts? That's why it's called hurt, right? Uh, Jonathan Taylor
0: has not missed a game due to injury in his NFL career, and I asked him yesterday when the last time was he missed a game due to injury, and he could not remember. So if you go off that, this is pretty rare to see Jonathan Taylor on the Colts injury report.
1: Mark, let's go. Sorry. Are you asleep over there? No, I was thinking about Unbelievable. Major League Baseball yesterday. Cardinals over the Pirates 8-7. It was the Reds over the Cubs 3-2. Now, games of note, there are not a lot of them at this point in the year, but the Yankees in the doubleheader, splitting with the Texas Rangers, but most importantly, Aaron Judge did hit his 60-second home run of the season. I find this peculiar. Uh, Toronto and Cutefellow were postponed due to rain. That's the Blue Jays and the Orioles, the Battle of the Birds. Uh, It'll be made up today as part of a doubleheader. At this point in the year, aren't you just like, you know what, Uh, whatever. We got rained out. We're both – okay, we're good. I mean, we've got playoff matchups.
0: Like, everything is set from a playoff standpoint. Uh, Today is the last day, right, of the regular season? Yes. Uh, Rays versus Guardians in the AL. The winner get the Yankees. Uh, Mariners versus Blue Jays. The winner gets yeah, the Astros. That's
1: the other thing. So, if you're the Blue Jays, I said, you know, they're like, look, we're done here with the regular season. We're on to the po- postseason.
0: NL, Phillies versus Cards. Padres versus Mets. The Braves and the Dodgers getting the buys. <laughs> the Cardinals are going to win the World Series, by the way. Stop. Pacers no. preseason opener is tonight, 630 at the Hornets. It sounds like a pretty healthy bunch. Daniel Tice, who just got done playing in Euro uh, Euro basketball. Uh, their tournament over there. It sounds like he's the only one that will be held out. Uh, you could go a lot of different places, Jake. but anything on your mind for
1: tonight, Pacers wise? No, I think it's probably just one of those where we're gonna see um, I, the Pacers season is gonna look a lot like this over the course of the year, and that is you're gonna see a ton of depth being used. like I you know they're they're gonna they are gonna audition everyone all the time extensively i think what i like about that though is and this
0: i I don't know how to say this without it sounding like a shot at these guys but jake at least i won't be watching Kiefer sykes and Dwayne washington for 35 minutes a night
1: that's fair i mean i keifer sykes was a good story you want to rain on it and papoo it that's fine
0: nice story (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know when, any other way around it, uh, but I'd rather see Benedict Matherin play in 30 minutes. Of
1: course. Rather of see course. Andrew Nemhard.
0: And that's what, you know, I we talked about minutes.
1: that at the end of last year, of guys that were getting significant minutes. You're like, how many of these is it because they're good players and how many of it is it because they need someone to fill out minutes? Right. Right, yeah.
0: Yeah, Keeper Sykes
1: has played on five continents. That's great, but. He just signed with uh, the Antarctic penguins yesterday. <laughs> <He's going laughs> says this.
0: He goes, "I'm with you on the Pacers preseason frustration. They televise and give access to every summer league game. Thank you. You can watch every summer league game, but, but I can't it, watch yeah. the preseason home opener or the preseason opener tonight. Makes a little sense to me." Stephen Holder at eight o'clock. Jeremiah Johnson coming up at eight thirty. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, at nine thirty. We'll get back in the Colts conversation next here on Kevin and Corey.
1: Oddly, by the way, John Denver, not really from Colorado or Denver, but a good song. Nonetheless, as the Colts get ready to go out to the Rocky Mountains, take on the Broncos tomorrow night, Thursday night football on Amazon Prime. This on a Wednesday. Is today Wednesday already? Well, I thought today was Thursday. I was like, (laughs) all right,
2: we got Colts Broncos tonight. Weeks flying by. When
1: when you turn the calendar on the day at 1015 every morning, it's like, what day is it? But nonetheless, I've been told locally channel six. Correct. Sorry, I should have mentioned that it is on WRTV.
0: But I looked in my little guide last night, and it did not indicate that. So I know some people might like start scrambling on Thursday it, night around eight o'clock. But it's, it's definitely, definitely on
1: I. six because Dave first called me Monday to ask me a few questions about when we did. I I, I say we. I didn't. I was very off scenes here. But Dave hosted the Jim Irsey show on Channel Six that was done at Galleons in Castleton. And Brad Brown, who is still at Channel 6, was coming out to talk to Dave for a piece that he was doing as a look back on that as part of the pregame show. So it's definitely on WRTV. Um, in talking about the Colts and the Broncos for this game, though, Kevin, we've talked a lot about Frank Reich and his job security. We've talked about Matt Ryan and his lack of ball security. We've talked about um, Jonathan Taylor and you know the fact that he should be the security net for the colts offense but yet he's banged up you were saying something about chris ballard in his job security that i found peculiar elaborate yeah so
0: (laughs) about the colts complex yesterday and one of the members of their organization stops me and is like you know what i feel like you guys are you know honest and critical i guess Of Chris Ballard, but you never bring up something that I feel like should be brought up more in explaining why the Colts possibly are in the situation that they're in right now, or that this should be viewed as more of a knock on the Ballard resume. And after he said what he said, I'm thinking to myself, oh yeah, that is right. Um, He thinks Ballard deserves more blame for the Josh McDaniel situation. In that that's a misjudgment of character. That's not as much egg on the face of as an organization, but more in the light of if you go off the names that the Colts would have been looking at not name McDaniels in that first part of January in the 2018 hiring cycle, if it wasn't McDaniels, I believe the Colts would have hired Mike Vrabel. Right. So Mike Vrabel would be your head coach, and Tennessee obviously would not have Mike Vrabel. Tennessee had a playoff game that season. That They had Mike Malarkey as their, uh, I think, interim. I don't know if he had a full tag on it. But Mike Malarkey was their head coach. They won a playoff game at Kansas City. So they didn't make the Vrabel hire until like mid to kind of later in January. So the Colts would have been the opening at that point. Vrabel, Matt Nagy, Matt Rule, Josh McDaniels, those were the other uh, – people interviewed at that time so where do you because it is something I probably don't bring up too much and I just kind of write off as hey, you know how could you really predict McDaniels is going to do that is that
1: something we should be more critical about with Ballard I think there are a lot of things about Chris Ballard Kevin that you can analyze in multiple ways you know on Monday I stopped I was in little outside of Indianapolis. And whenever I'm in a smaller town at the gas station is when I'll think like, oh, you know what, I'll buy a Powerball ticket because they always hit like in those little tiny towns. So I I said to the woman, I said, yeah, I'll I'll buy a Powerball ticket. How's that worked out for you? Um, Well, I've won like $11 before. And so (laughs) I say I'll, I'll... So she prints out the Powerball ticket. And the chip on my debit card was like fried it wouldn't accept the, the chip on the debit card and so I you and you can't use a credit card for powerball whatever so anyway so i said oh okay well you know i guess you'll have to take that off of my order because i i can't use my debit card so i went out to my car and i i found i had a five dollar bill or something and the. so i go back in and i said you know what i'll just go and take the ticket anyway and she goes you know what, i just sold it to somebody else and i thought that that person's probably gonna hit and win a million dollars Chris Ballard to me, it seems like Chris Ballard's career to an extent has worked out that way where every time, so he wasn't me in that situation, but the next guy that just walked up and they're like, here, we have an extra Powerball somebody else didn't want. Do you want it? Okay, sure. It hasn't worked out necessarily with Frank Reich in that fashion, but what I'm saying is at the time that the McDaniel situation blew up on him. He got a lifeline because somebody else had, you know, Frank Reich was just sitting there, and it was like, okay, I'll just take that. It just worked out for him. For the quarterback situation, the Carson Wentz thing blew up in his face. Maybe it wasn't his fault, but he is the general manager. He is responsible for who comes and who goes. And he brought in Carson Wentz, even though it might have been Frank Reich that wanted him, and that blew up on him. And then Matt Ryan was just kind of there at the last minute because Atlanta went and flirted with Deshaun Watson. And so now, boom, Matt Ryan's available and Atlanta's got to get rid of him in this unique situation. And at the 11th hour, he gets saved by that. The, you know, the situation with Andrew Luck, which was at no fault of Chris Ballard's, but, you know, what are we going to do here? And so he rides it out with Jacoby Brissett, who he they had traded for, but then you know, Phillip Rivers suddenly is available and they've got a veteran quarterback. Like he just literally like somebody else is just leaving a powerball. I'm not saying those guys are powerball guys, but but situations that he just walks into and it takes care of itself for him. And he's been very lucky in that regard. But you could absolutely if if in fact the question is out there of there are two ways to look at it with Frank Reich. If Frank Reich does not work out and he is ultimately replaced as the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, you can look at it one of two ways, and this is what's fascinating to me about Ballard's tenure. Everything has two sides to the coin. And in, in this case, you could say, hey, Ballard's off the hook because Reich was never his guy to begin with. That's not who he selected, but his guy blew up on him, and so that's all of a sudden he was available and the owner liked him. You think people think that? I do think, here's the thing. That's quite the, let's give this guy a second chance type of situation there. But hear me out. What I'm saying is there are two ways to look at it. Way number one is to say if Frank Reich doesn't work out, you can absolve Chris Ballard because you could say that was not his initial selection nor hire. Way number two is to say because he erred in his selection of Josh McDaniel and didn't properly vet the situation, he put the Colts in a situation where Frank Reich had to be their lifeline and it didn't work out. And so ultimately that in turn falls on Chris Ballard. There it just depends on whether, quite frankly, whether or not you want to defend Chris Ballard or whether or not you want to say Chris Ballard is somebody who needs to be scrutinized. But there are The thing about the Chris Ballard tenure to me that is fascinating is that there are, in any situation with the Colts, there are legitimate, valid points that can be made for him and against him. It really is fascinating. Now, I personally think that Chris Ballard is probably good at what he does. I don't think he's very good. I don't think he's elite. Like, I have always said, Kevin, with Andrew Luck— You've heard me say this a hundred times. When Andrew Luck came into the league, and I and people like this guy is the best prospect ever. I'm like, well, what? And I I don't dispute that he was a great player. I don't dispute it. But no one could tangibly point to what it was that made him so great. What makes him great? He's just greatness. But what what about the greatness? He just has the it factor. What's the it factor? Greatness. Give me an exact, tangible point of what you're talking about with Andrew Luck that makes him great. He just had. There's just something about him. Well, I think that's what made him so unique is that there wasn't some flaw. I I get it. But what I'm saying is, and Chris Ballard, though, from the time that he got here, all I heard about with Ballard was like, hire the center. This guy's great. He's a genius. He's brilliant. In what way? He's just brilliant. How? Because he's genius. How's he a genius? Because he's brilliant. Uh, Okay. Well, we've been here. Like, are we going to be having this conversation in 12 years from now and be like, in 18 years, the Colts have won two playoff games, but Chris Ballard's a genius. I, You know? Now, I personally think that he's probably good at what he does. I think he's competent at what he does. I think he's been placed on a pedestal of being elite at what he does because people feel like it's trendy to say that or their own football acumen is going to be questioned if they don't agree that he is elite. I think there's like this pressure among fan base and football people to talk about how great he is because that's what we've heard, right? And people are like, oh, inside the building, people will run through a wall for him because he's a wonderful human being and he's great. No, no, no. Part of that is because he is following a, a a predecessor that didn't have a lot of social skills. All of that to be said, I personally think that when the focus then turns on Chris Ballard, he's going to struggle a little bit because to a lot of fans, they see him as arrogant because when he does interviews or goes out and talks to people, he carries with him an aura that he is way smarter than everybody else. Jr. goes even more egg on Ballard's face. The guy who he
0: wanted for head coach is currently one and three with the Raiders. Yeah, it- you know, when this person brought it up to me yesterday, I guess I just, I, I haven't probably put as much stock into that. Um, I think I can put that kind of on an, an island and still have an evaluation of Ballard, where, like, as Jake said, there are pros and cons to it. Um, but if for some reason the Colts decide at the end of the year that they want to cut ties with Frank Reich and all of a sudden Chris Ballard's back making another head coaching move, um, it's probably a fair statement to bring back up. It's kind of crazy to think a GM could get 3 chances at hiring a head coach without winning a division title in any of those. Well, times. but he's great. That's pretty unforeseen in the NFL. Yeah, but he's hired the century. Steven Holder from the Athletic, or excuse me, from ESPN.com. He's going to join us next here on Kevin Corre. 16 points last night for Jay Ivy in his preseason debut, the Pacers preseason opener is tonight in Charlotte. We'll chat more about that with Jeremiah Johnson coming up at the bottom of the hour. Right now, it's Colts Talk with Stephen Holder from ESPN.com. Stephen, this trend of slow starts to seasons has been there in the Frank Reich era. Um, If you look at the team and the slow start and you look at Matt Ryan and the issues there, uh, do you believe there's similarities at all to past slow starts?
5: Yeah, I think there's some of that. I I think if you look at the slow starts that they've had in recent years, I think one of the big uh, recurring themes is the offense not getting untracked early. And there may be something to that. I I think that I have a story coming out tomorrow. and, And Frank has said this before. Others have said this. There is a cost to changing these quarterbacks every year. It, this is not an excuse. This is a choice they made, right? But there is there is a consequence to that, and and I think there could be some there could be some connection there. Uh, the, the other thing to remember is, you know, Matt Ryan, unlike uh, Carson Wentz and Phillip Rivers, he doesn't have any history in this particular system, so he doesn't even have that advantage. And, and I think you can even see it. Like, if you're watching, you can see each week a little bit more. Um, uh, you can see a few more steps, I guess, with the offense. Now, they're all the turnovers undermine everything. And it doesn't matter. Until they stop turning the ball over and Matt Ryan stops turning the ball over, it doesn't matter. And I understand that. And I'm not hiding from that. But to your question, yeah, the slow starts, I think, I think they've mostly been a product of the offense starting slow in many cases. And, and there is, there's, there's context behind that. That's I think very relevant. So it'll be interesting to see if that offense can continue that progress. And and maybe this is just a mirage. We'll see.
1: Steven, I'm going to go like way just to the point pessimism here. Okay. Um, In your opinion, If the Colts are at their very best, they're at their very healthiest, and every player on the roster has a dream season, what's their ceiling with this group? What's the best they could do?
5: Hmm. Well, I know what I thought before the season, and I don't know whether that matters at this point, but but I think think a lot of us thought 10 to 12 wins before the season on paper, right? So not – so
1: at their very best, if if they squeeze every ounce of capability out of themselves and every player gets eight hours of sleep per night and feels like a million bucks in the morning, they're still not going to go to the Super Bowl, correct?
5: Oh, I certainly never, never predicted that. Right. right. So <laughs> no. my point being,
1: what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Because uh, well, you got yeah, you got better. a quarterback that you got a quarterback that's like two years away from. It's nice that Lucas Oil Stadium's close to Washington Street because they can take him to the State Museum because he's like two years from that. And then then we're just going to recycle it again and then maybe try it with like oh guess what Sam Darnold you know they're going to re they're going to reinvent him or you know I don't know who the hell has two years left in their in their career that they can go out and get next and just do this all over again. Geno Smith here you go. Uh, what are we doing? I mean like is there any. Is there any roadmap for the Colts here? Or are we just going to keep doing this recycling, you know, quicksand vat every year, like get excited because they're 12-5 and five and they're competing with Tennessee to go get their ass kicked in Buffalo?
5: No, you're, you're right. There is a lesson here. And, again, not to pump myself – not to pump my story up again, but I'm just going to tell you, when the story comes out tomorrow, I want people to read it because what I, what we'll do, what we're going to do is, is also look at the Broncos – in this story okay and and how they had a six-year period where they had 11 freaking starters at quarterback 11. where are you going right nowhere and now the colts are in there and this is after their franchise quarterback left peyton manning who was their franchise quarterback for four years Andrew Luck departs in 2019. The Colts are kind of on the same path. They've gone about it differently, right? The the Broncos tried to draft guys, but they got the wrong guys. So the Broncos took some shots. They just took wrong shots. <laughs> the Colts haven't taken any shots. They've gotten better in quarterbacks. And the results, though, have been the exact same, right? The, the results have been the exact same. Neither team's want a playoff game. No, they've not gone anywhere. And, and I think this Matt Ryan... Solution? Well, I was I was certainly in favor of it. I mean, given the options they had, which were nothing, given their options, I, I like the Matt Ryan option. I think he can still be really productive for them this year. But if you're talking about what's the what's the end game here? No, I don't think it's the Super Bowl. I don't know that it, I ever thought it was the Super Bowl. Well, I also so,
1: feel like Stephen with because Denver. I was saying this to Kevin earlier this morning, and I want you to tell me, Stephen Holder of ESPN.com, if if you think this is an accurate statement. Um, It seems to me like Denver, with Russell Wilson, Denver Radio is probably having similar conversations because I think they thought that Denver was ready to plug and play with a veteran quarterback and that they could really make a move here, and they're still really feeling things out. It seems to me like if the AFC has an express lane and a middle lane that's moving decently, that the Colts and the Broncos are both in that far right lane, waiting to merge in, and only one of them is going to be able to do it. And tomorrow night is the night we determine which one gets in the right lane and which one just st- or the correct lane, and which one stays on the far right and watches the world go by. And tomorrow's a benchmark game, as much as it can be in Week Five for these two franchises. Fact or fiction?
5: I, I think it it was going to go a long way toward or getting them where they want to go. And honestly, I'll be honest with you, I, I think that the Broncos are better equipped to get there. All right? Let's just call it what it is. I'm not saying that they're right now, this minute, the better team. And they may even lose tomorrow. I don't know. The Colts could win that game. There's no question. But the Broncos are, are just better equipped. I mean, Russell Wilson's play in recent years has been far superior to Matt Ryan. Okay? That is not... very aggressive statement (laughs) okay Matt Ryan would probably tell you that so I think if you're you're betting if you're banking on something you're banking on Russell Wilson and I think also the the skill talent that Denver has is also superior so yeah I bank on on Denver in the long term maybe not tomorrow night we'll see but in the long term that's who I'm banking on
0: he's Stephen Holder from ESPN.com he's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline Stephen I think one of the more damning parts right now is you're in a situation, uh, six straight games of 20 points or less scored. And I think back to the Jim Irsay tweet in the playoffs in January when he talked about, look at the final eight teams. You've got to score 30 in this league. you got to have a quarterback that's capable to get you to 30 points in regulation. And with an offensive-minded head coach right now, y- you can't score. Um, how much do you think that is kind of resonating with Ursay of knowing how the league has evolved – Knowing how offensive centric it is, and right now the Colts are in a pretty historic offensive rut.
5: No, I, I think that it's it's definitely an issue, and I'll tell you something else. You know who you know who understands that as well, <laughs> Frank Reich. I've had a number of conversations with him outside of the the realm of of the press conference setting, right? And and those are where you usually get the most honest assessments. I've had a number of conversations where he has. I think very, very clearly uh, admitted and and verbalized the fact that they got to be an aggressive passing team to be a, a factor in today's NFL. Like people may think that you know he's this he's this guy who wants to you know play three clouds or three yards in a cloud of dust. Like no, he he did it out of necessity last year for sure, and and it's not happening right now. That they are they're certainly not one of. Uh, the the higher octane offenses in the NFL, but there's an understanding that that's what they have to do. Whether they can get there is a whole other story. <laughs> okay, that that's just a, a completely separate issue. And right now they they aren't a team that has shown that they can do that consistently. Uh, but I would also say this: the the turnovers are are the biggest factor in the scoring being what it is, uh, because. On the other hand, while they aren't necessarily lighting up the scoreboard, they have been moving the football at times. They just can't do it consistently because of the turnovers. So that's really what this boils down to. I mean, Matt Ryan, I believe Matt Ryan is the only quarterback uh, with with two games over 350 yards passing so far, or maybe one of two quarterbacks so far in the first four games. That doesn't mean anything. Who cares? They don't throw you a parade for that. Uh, It's just an example that they are moving the ball, but the offense is a complete... Dysfunctional mess because of the turnovers.
0: Steven, I don't think I put this like on the top, you know, four or five issues right now for the Colts. But I did find it rather, rather alarming. Uh, Sunday against Ryan Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill attempted twenty-one passes. The Colts did not have a single pass defensed in that game, pass broken up in that game. Um, if you look at the season, I think they're second to last in the NFL in uh, hands on balls in the secondary, passes broken up, those sorts of things. It, I get Shaquille Leonard's not out there, but the Colts just aren't creating enough opportunities defensively, and the scheme has changed, but that has been a major, major issue, I feel like, of the defense has been put in some bad situations, but you, you cannot allow you know quarterback and wide receiver combos to have as easy of a time as they've had in completing passes and contesting those balls in the secondary.
5: Yeah, there's two things happening. Well, you mentioned the, the Titans game. In, in the Titans game, particularly, I, I do think that Tannehill, hes not the most aggressive quarterback. So he's—he's going to make—he's going to check it down, or he's going to make a, a throw that's—that's that's definitely open a, a lot of times. So that—that that impacts it. But I agree with you. What they have, uh, what we have seen, I think, is—you say what you want about Matt Eberflus, but—but but his scheme emphasized getting to the football and getting to the football means um, making passes tough to complete and getting hands on footballs in various different ways. And then I know there were, there were, there were frustrating moments in that scheme as well, where, you know, they couldn't get off the field. This has been a recurring theme for sure at times. But the one thing I would say is that it, it definitely emphasized turnovers and it was more than just Shaquille Leonard. It, it wasn't just him. It really wasn't. And, And I think the way they played, the the way they attacked the football was different. And I wonder sometimes if they – I wondered all along, frankly, if they were going to lose that. And it's hard to tell when Shaq's not out there and how much of it is him and how much of it is the scheme. I I don't know. We're only four games in. Let's see what happens after eight or nine games. But so far, it it really has been a a very, very clear difference. Uh, The Colts last season were averaging – uh, two turnovers per game, and you just can't you can't emphasize enough the difference that has made. And regardless of it, it is Shaq is a big part of that. There's no question. Uh, for, regardless of the reason, right? Their turnover margin, I believe, is minus six. They have never had a they've never had a negative turnover margin under Frank Reich, and now they're minus six after four games. <laughs> I like, think where are you going? You know what I mean? Like they've been built upon that positive. In fact, very, very positive turnover margin. They, they were second in the league last year. And they have been, the last couple of years, they've been uh, they've been top five, I believe. So where are you going if you're minus six, right? So I know that's not the exact question you asked me, but, but I do think there's, there are some scheme-related reasons why they aren't getting uh, hands on the football on defense. And, and I think it's, for a defense that's playing pretty well at times, I think it could be much better if they were able to produce some turnovers or at least get some hands on the football.
1: Steven, I want to read you a question that was sent to us by Andrew, on, and I think it's a really good question on Twitter. Kevin and I will probably get into this more maybe tomorrow. But he said, hey, guys, I wanted to ask a question. Whether they're put in bad situations or just playing poorly, which of these players is not having the worst season of their career so far? Matt Ryan, DeForest Buckner, Ryan Kelly, Braden Smith, Michael Pittman, Quentin Nelson, Jonathan Taylor, Naeem Hines, or Kenny Moore.
5: <laughs> I think I'm going over so far here. <laughs> I can't tell you that any of those guys are are not having the worst season of their career, and and that's that sums it up though, doesn't it? Because if those are all the best players on the team, and we've said this. I think we've all acknowledged this at some point. Their best players are playing horribly, in at least in spots. I mean, that's you can't overcome that. All of your money, all of your the structure of your team is all built around those guys. Everybody you just mentioned, and then on top of it, Shaquille Leonard's not out there, who's maybe the best of them all. So it's not an excuse; it's just an explanation. Like you, I don't know how you overcome that. Now we can. We can debate why that's happening. Why are all these guys producing at such a low level? That is – there are any number of reasons why that's true. But the bottom line is it's true. And coaching, not coaching, or whatever, at some level, I expect my best players to go out there and change the game, make something happen. And that has to come from a personal level at some point. I mean, again – Coaching will be dealt with, okay? Look, Frank Reich, his fate will be sealed. If this continues, it's over, okay? We don't have to argue about that. That will handle itself. But you can't cut everybody. Even if you change the coach, you can't cut everybody. These guys got to produce, man.
0: Stephen, are you uh, surprised at all? Again, Stephen Holder from ESPN.com is with us. This time last week, Jim Mersey is about to fire off like 77 tweets about blue alert, loud crowd, primal, passion, et cetera, et cetera. We know uh, how he viewed that Tennessee matchup. Are you surprised we haven't heard anything from him? It's been pretty silent uh, from him since the game.
5: Well, they took his phone, I think, clearly. Um, no, I, I Wouldn't I, be the I, first I, time, right? <laughs> exactly uh i'm not surprised because i will say he he has been a little more restrained lately i know maybe that that doesn't square with what people have seen
0: but i mean it's like the only time we heard from him was after kansas city and like part of me is like you know if you're gonna talk when it's going good shouldn't you talk when it's going bad
5: that's fair I, but I think it's it's deliberate though, and it's and I'll tell you why. I, my at least from my perspective, why this is a deliberate effort by those around him to rein him in, because it doesn't do you any good. <laughs> that's that's the bottom line. It doesn't do you any good, and I think all it did the the videos after, that he posted after the Jacksonville loss last season, for example, coming out of two thousand the 2021 season, all they really did was open open him up to ridicule. Now, I'm not saying he was wrong, right? He should have been angry, and he should have felt uh, passionate about what happened. That's fine. And who would disagree with that? The problem is (laughs) it really just opens you up to be just completely ridiculed when things don't go well. Uh, And and you don't want to box yourself in, too. I mean, I would also say – You know, some of the things that he said about Carson Wentz, it certainly did not help his trade value, for example. So some of his emotional, I don't want to say outbursts, but expressions, put it that way. (laughs) Was that for politically correct? Uh, Some of his expressions just have not been helpful, I guess, is is I think in the view of people around him. So maybe he's listening. I don't know. That would be a first, but maybe.
0: Uh, any gut feeling, Jonathan Taylor for tomorrow night and if he doesn't play do you think it'll be more Hines more Deion Jackson or more Philip Lindsay
5: I feel like he's got a really good shot I mean it's it's just really impossible to to predict one way or the other but I think he's got a shot I I really do Um, you know this guy's tough this guy is really tough the question is going to be is it is it a good idea for him to play and and I don't know. I mean he he hasn't impacted the games the last 3 weeks frankly. So if he doesn't play can they overcome that? Yeah, maybe. We'll have to see but and to your question about whether or what happens if he does not play it's going to be interesting, you know, because we really haven't seen Hines as a traditional running back, very much this year. I don't know off the top of my head how many carries he has. It feels like not very many.
0: I thought I saw um, eight. If that sounds right,
5: right. So, uh, what I'm curious about is, does his running style, uh, it does it does it work any better at all with with the lack of push we're seeing with this offensive line right now? You know, just because he has probably a different level of quickness and a different gear, maybe than than JT. I don't think he's necessarily faster than JT, but he's a different kind of runner. I don't know. I have no idea whether it will matter. I, I, he may get knocked on his rear end, too. I have no idea. But I'm curious. I, I don't know. We'll see. I do think Philip Lindsay had a great training camp. He looked good. He looked fast. And he saw it in the preseason. I don't think Philip Lindsay is going to come out there and do something that Jonathan Taylor couldn't behind this offensive line. But I think he could give you at least a, a viable running game, potentially, if the blocking is there. So we'll see. And, and it's obviously Denver, so revenge game for him, I guess.
1: Steven Holder's our guest. ESPN.com is where you can read his work. Other things that you have working, I realize this game tomorrow is um, you know, the big one. It's a curveball because, as Kevin had talked about, I mean, short week, you're going into an altitude, which I do think, unlike Frank Wright, could be a factor. Um, but what else you got cooking in terms of coverage on ESPN.com, Stephen?
5: Yeah, I'll go back to the, the story I mentioned earlier. I think is is the, the primary is the the impending one, and it's really I think it's just a bigger issue than just what's happening right now with the Colts. This is a broader issue that this whole the, the quarterback issue really it has dominated the last four years, and and frankly, Chris Ballard. His approach to the quarterback position um, has been to be, to be judicious, right? And not be uh, overly aggressive. But it's, it turns out, you know, because he was afraid maybe that being overly aggressive might lead to his demise. Well, maybe not being aggressive leads to his demise as well. We'll see. I, I don't envy the guy. It's a tough situation. But, but that's the first thing. Uh, I've got a couple of things cooking as well in the weeks to come. So, uh, yeah, I'll get into that a little later.
0: Steven, safe travels to Denver. Um, Enjoy that, and we'll talk to you next week. Okay, guys. See you soon. Colts are a three-point underdog last I saw for Thursday night. Uh, Jake, this kind of falls into, like, a little bit of the nerd category that we don't need to harp on, but Sunday was a reminder of this for me. It's pretty amazing and rather pathetic that – And the London game probably brought this to light on Sunday morning. The Colts are one of the worst long-distance kicking teams the NFL has seen over the last three years. And you kick in a controlled climate. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, that's a big Mm -hmm. deal. I mean... For sure. 52-yard field goals are something you see NFL kickers rather routinely either make or certainly come close to making... Um, the Colts bypassed a chance to kick a 57-yard attempt on Sunday, and then the 51-yard attempt,
1: I believe, hit Shapiro's. Now, did you see that former Colts kicker, Michael Badgley, who marked your Chicago Bears, enjoyed his kicking prowess mm-hmm. on Sunday, correct?
2: Yep. Cairo Santos was out due to personal reasons. so they The only scorer, right? The only scorer off the street four field goals and guess what perfect sayonara what do you mean perfect no
1: he's perfect he's four for four uh, well they
2: he was released yesterday. yeah well they have Kyro santos he was just away for the game so he'll be back yeah
0: people have asked should the colts look at badgley I sure i again there's an element of just a street kicker is a street kicker who's a street kicker like um i did think badgley kicked fairly well for you last season um but this is a multi-year thing. If you go back to I think 2020, I think the Colts are second to last in the NFL in field goals made from beyond 50 yards.
1: And again, you kick kicking doors. Uh, hey Jake, can we ask TY Hilton if we can use his ghost logo for our offens- for the offensive line? <laughs> Does he have
0: that trademarked? Is that what the Halloween costume will be this year? Yannick Ngakwe also could use the ghost oh, logo, boy, right? You need more from Ngakwe. And I mentioned earlier, Russell Wilson's banged up. The Denver O-line is banged up. He likes to hold on to the ball. You got to get after him Thursday night.
1: Denver's got issues. They do have issues, but we've... Listen, Kevin, read for me before we get to the... And I know we're up against it, but read to me one more time the quote from Frank Reich about the altitude.
0: Uh, Yeah, so I asked him yesterday if uh, the altitude, does he believe that that is a factor when he plays in Denver? Um, Good question. I don't think, and then he paused. There was always that mystique about going
1: out there, and I think what we've seen over the years is that it's not that factor that you think it's going to be. I I agree that it's probably not some automatic detriment, and teams can go in there and win, obviously, if you play well, but – if it's an overly physical game late in the game, I'm telling you. I I don't they better not have a single player cramp or have any issue at all. I don't want to hear about it. It's supposed to be a really nice night. Um,
0: in Denver. I would think this is kind of one of the more popular road trips you would do. Yeah. Head out Thursday morning, awesome city. Get the weekend after the Thursday night game. So I'll be curious to see how many Colts fans are in the building. We do have a little bit of a Bally Sports Pacers update that we can hit on here. Coming up next, Jeremiah Johnson from Bally Sports, ironically, is going to join us ahead of the preseason opener tonight in Charlotte. Let's hit a morning check down.
4: The morning check down. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at ballstatesports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
1: By the way, one NFL note to lead off our... Morning check down here. Michael Badgley did sign with the Detroit Lions. So after the Bears cut him, he did what any bear does, and he goes immediately stays within the division and goes to the uh, fighting Dr. Mottman's future Super Bowl champion Detroit Lions. I don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl, but
2: they've the got, Patriots this weekend. No, I was going to say they got Belichick and company this weekend. Hit, hammer the over on those. The the Lions have been popping up some points
0: 45 last week what it was is that, is that what it was
2: yeah they're either putting up big points and getting into deficits and losing the lead or they're reco- recovering from are well,
1: they're, they're the biting kneecaps aren't they they are yes correct um <laughs> speaking okay.
0: of knees it's more of an ankle I guess for Jonathan Taylor right now um is being listed as a did not participate in the walkthrough uh both the walkthroughs this week for the Colts um again we mentioned it a little bit earlier in the show the Colts don't believe that he could do further damage if he plays Thursday night with his injury. He was wearing a boot while observing practice from a golf cart yesterday. Observing walkthrough would probably be more the technical term on that. Uh, but this sounds like something that will go right down to the wire. Um, some things to watch tomorrow to gauge Taylor's status. Do they bring up Philip Lindsay from the practice squad? And then, obviously, pregame warm-ups, which I would assume Taylor will test things out. But he has not missed a game due to injury in years. He can't even recall the last time. Um, the only game he's missed in his NFL career, I think his barber had COVID. So he was a close contact for COVID. Excuse me? Yeah. I believe his barber had COVID, and he was a close contact a few years back.
1: Do you remember when everybody was walking around looking like Ted Kaczynski?
2: You're all about the serial killer. Version, I, what do you mean I, I'm all about the serial What are you
1: talking about? This First is a thing. little unnerving. I'm just saying, everybody there through quarantine, like the, everybody's hair went hog wild because nobody could get a haircut. Yeah, I mean, right?
2: Every time anybody sneezed, you're like, whoa, watch out. <laughs> now, the big. <laughs> yeah, <okay.
1: laughs>
0: We do have some Dan Orlovsky. He's a tad optimistic, I think, about the Colts. We'll explain that a little bit later. Pacers preseason home opener, or opener, I should say. Not home opener. Opener is tonight. That's at Charlotte. They're at the Knicks on Friday. And then the preseason home opener is a week from tonight um, here over at GameBridge Fieldhouse. Tyrese Halliburton yesterday on starting the preseason.
5: Competing against different people, I uh, get annoyed with TJ in my face all the time, so uh, just looking forward to playing against other people, um, you know, coming together as a team and playing with other groups. You know, we've been mixing it up in practice a little bit, but uh, in games and the flows of rotations, foul trouble, maybe in the preseason, uh, you're going to play with some different guys that, you know, you haven't played with much in practice, so uh, I'm looking forward to it.
0: Jake Laid, large financial stake on the Pacers to win 30 games or more <laughs> this season. What
1: Can you define... Large financial stake, please? Again, one that I will probably withhold from Maddie until mm. it looks like that bet has okay. a chance of hitting. <laughs> okay. Now, does it have large financial payoff potential? Yeah, oh yeah. Uh
0: huh. Yeah. Yeah. Plus four thirty. So for our non betters out there, if you were to place a ten dollar bet on the Pacers to win thirty games, thirty and fifty two, you would get forty three dollars off of that ten dollar. Wait, how many
2: zeros did you put after that Mm -hmm. first zero? Well,
0: let's not discuss that. Let's discuss the (laughs) reality of the bet. Do you agree with my bet? Or is it wobble for Webb and Yama?
1: I think this is what is going to be a fascinating thing to watch for the Pacers this year.
0: 30 and 52.
1: The Pacers are putting themselves in position, structurally speaking, to get as good a draft pick this year as they can. I'm not saying that they are going to throw games, but I think that they are going to go very deep into their bench and a lot of nights and a lot of evenings to to see diff- to give minutes to young players, etc. What is fascinating to me is they might have enough talent within those young players to accidentally win games that they're not necessarily by design trying to win.
0: That's my thinking. Plus, and I, I, I think there's that fine line, Jake, in that you don't want losing to become the norm. You don't want this group to get comfortable with losing. They lost a lot last year. And I think another item to mention is the new lottery odds. If you are the worst record in the NBA or you're the fifth worst record in the NBA, it's like a 5% difference in getting the number one overall pick. Right, right. It's not like... The worst team gets the number one overall pick. Correct. So, I don't
1: Well, know. you know the way it works out is that you go out and you intentionally go 14 and 68 on the season, and then you sit back with all the ping pong balls and get all excited because you got the French wonder coming, and you're like, here we go, championship, 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 French and then wonder. San Antonio and Orlando with 1% chances yeah. get the top right. To
2: exactly. That nickname, the French wonder, we can do better than that.
1: Well, if you if you let it. The French Wonder can become French Toast. Wonder also a bread, right?
2: I'm just saying. Toast is one don't want. What you don't want your players to be, though. Well, that is true. What what nickname would you like? I don't know. We can come up with something. We can brainstorm. I just it's French Wonder just
1: came off the top of my head, Mark. I I don't know if you know this or not, but but it's eight thirty in the morning, and I'm just I'm just rolling here, right? In my
3: opinion, that sucks. Well,
1: I'm just telling
0: you, Linden rather harsh here. He goes, Kevin, don't worry. If that bet doesn't work out, you can always ask Tom Brady about finding a lawyer. Oh, boy. I'm going to guess that Tom is probably in a little different
1: market for a lawyer. By the way, I would potentially be in. I'm just going to say this once, and then people are going to hate me for it. I could not care less about the fact that Tom Brady, I don't even know. Is he divorced, split? I I have no idea. But I look at it, and I'm like, uh, okay. I mean, celebrity marriages fall apart all the time. And Tom Brady, we can say what we want, scrutinize, analyze, whatever, as a football player. But it's a, it's the guy's personal life, and uh, there are very few things I could care less about than his personal life. Now, if we were covering him as a player, and it was affecting his play, and we were well, see, I paid think that's the part. I mean, he took ten days the bucks, off of training camp, right?
0: I think that's the aspect where the personal life has bled into football. That, that's
1: fair, but but we don't cover the bucks, though. You know what I mean? Right. Oh uh, yeah,
0: fantastic, Frenchie is where Kyle's going. With that, okay. I kind of like it. I couldn't disagree with this more. AM Roberts, Pacers have a better chance of going 12 and 70 than winning 30.
2: <laughs> For Kevin's okay. sake, you Don't laugh at that. Hey, okay, can I sleep at your guys' house? Not going to win 25 games.
0: Jeremiah Johnson from Bally Sports joins us again. A Bally Sports update. If you're a Pacers season ticket holder, I think if you're in the market to buy any sort of multi game ticket package, Um, This will be some news you want to hear. We'll talk about that next here on Kevin and Corey.
1: 22 minutes before 9, and Kevin Bowen, as we get set to have on Jeremiah Johnson, you've got news about Bally Sports, correct? Yeah,
0: kind of fitting. I know we talked with JJ about this a few weeks back at the Pacers golf outing, uh, but this is from the Indianapolis Business Journal. Pacers Sports Entertainment uh, will provide individuals who purchase a multi-game ticket package with a complimentary six-month subscription to Bally Sports Plus Plus which is a new streaming service aimed at those who no longer have access to game broadcasts through traditional cable service. They also say as part of the promotional effort, the Pacers on Wednesday launched a six game ticket package that includes access to Bally sports. Plus those with 10 game half season and full season packages
1: also will receive the subscription. So that means that y- you get additional content, right? I mean, uh, a- what is Bally Sports Plus? Bally well, Sports
0: Plus is where the Pacers games will be streamed this season. Okay. So if you are a cord cutter and you have a 6 game, 10 game, half season or full season ticket package, you will get oh, Pacers P- games. I
1: see what you're saying. Sorry. Yes. Okay.
0: So this is great news. Um I like it. One question I would have though is it says here who purchases a multi-game ticket package. So does that mean if I purchase tickets to two games well,
1: package so that probably means one of the bundled things that they have at put least together. six games right so in other words like when you go into that bed bath and beyond you can buy the little basket that's already wrapped that has the seven lotions in it you you have to get that you can't just buy the two little lotions for the two for 12
0: jeremiah johnson happy to join us picturing Excuse me, Jay Mark? query buying lotions what a transition to jQuery <laughs> on this <laughs> Wednesday, Wednesday morning, morning.
1: JJ, I'm just I trying like, to speak the language that everybody can understand here, Kevin.
0: I like that news. I know it doesn't necessarily include maybe everyone. Obviously, there are people out there that you know cannot purchase a six-game ticket package, but at least it's a step in the right direction, in my opinion.
3: So does that mean if I go into Bed Bath & Beyond, I can purchase towels and I have, like, a stand-up of Chris and Quinn, and you get you get that as well? Is that what we're saying here? <laughs> Smothered
1: lotion. That's right. Oh, okay. That's exactly right. White rain.
3: Well, yeah. is, you're right, Kevin. This is, I think, good news. It's a step in the right direction. Ultimately, what I would love is for it get to be October 19th, and we're not talking about this as much. We're talking about what's on the court, and we're basically making – the product available to more people ultimately that's what valley sports wants that's what the pacers want and really that's what the nba wants because the one thing that i've tried to tell some people is that there are, it's not an indiana problem it's not just here that people have had you know the inability to watch the games it's i think 17 different teams are our valley sports teams and so now there's an opportunity if you did as you say cord cut and have youtube tv there's a way that you can watch the games this year and i've said this uh, numerous times it's the goal of the team and the broadcast crew to make it worth your while and if you can purchase tickets now as the pacers are offering an incentive to purchase a multi-game ticket package and you get valley sports plus that's awesome because ultimately you want invested fans you want those to watch the games in person when they can't watch the games in person you want them to be able to watch it on their phone or their ipad or their television whether it's cable satellite or streaming so we're moving in that direction i think it's a step it's a positive step and i'm glad to hear it
0: i don't want to harp on this anymore jj but i do need to vent um why is tonight not on any sort of television can we get someone up in the rafters in charlotte to stream this (laughs) i like i i I get that you know i don't know i'm probably putting you in an awkward position i apologize it just is like first preseason game i i don't get why it's not on some sort of platform (laughs)
3: <laughs> well it's a decision or it's it's above my pay grade but i do know if you if you have a leak pass or if you um have the ability there is going to be a broadcast there will be highlights there will be something um after the fact maybe it'll be on nba tv on delay i'm not sure about that but there is going to be a stream and a broadcast and we are able to to watch it at some point but uh you can also listen to mark boyle and pat boylan right the radio side of things as well so um you, you it's kind of like the indy 500 there's a little bit of a blackout but you can listen on the radio so that's a good thing for your your product
0: uh 6 thank you for that our coverage will begin right here <laughs> on uh 93.5 and 107.5 the fan um what will you be focused on tonight I, obviously it sounds like the starters are definitely going to play uh but rick carlisle will will get into that bench as well what are you looking forward to tonight
3: The first thing is you're seeing Benedict Matherin play his first game in a a Pacers uniform, uh, not including summer league. And to me, that's exciting. This is the highest draft pick in a number of years. There was a lot of anticipation for that selection, for the draft lottery, and then to see how he can fit into this team, not just this season, but in the future. So I'm looking forward to seeing him when he checks into the game for the first time, if he comes off the bench, seeing what he can do, seeing how quickly he can acclimate. To the NBA game, from what I've seen in practice, I don't think I think he'll be a quick study. I think he has a chance to make a really um, powerful instant impact. And then I want to see Tyrese Halliburton with this front court. Jalen Smith, he played with obviously last season, did not play with Miles Turner. To me, there's no more important relationship than your point guard and your big men. And so, how does Jalen Smith fit on the floor with Miles Turner? What's that spacing like, and what's that chemistry um, with with Tyrese Halliburton like we know that he can play well with Buddy Hield. they played together for a number of years but if Chris Duarte is there in the starting lineup he did not get to play as much in the second half of the season so I just want to constantly um, evaluate all season long Tyrese Halliburton how he makes everyone else around him better but maybe specifically the big men where there are a lot of young big men Miles Turner's been around but you've got Isaiah Jackson uh, Terry Taylor uh, even Goga at times, you've got guys that it'll be important for Tyrese Halliburton to make their games easier.
1: Jeremiah, um, I don't know if you knew this or not, you, you and Kristen Ari both, but last week, so it would have been a week ago yesterday maybe, somewhere around there, uh, I had my friends from Australia who are big Pacer fans um, downtown, and, and we ran into you serendipitously and and they went bonkers you're like beatlemania <laughs> in australia did you, were you aware of this or did did you know how big you are down under uh, i was not aware i was always a that sounds weird does it not to say that you're big stuff. down under i probably should have worded that differently <laughs> uh, did you know so how man, did you really know how <laughs> did you know how popular you are in australia i should have just simply said it that way
3: I was not aware. I have done the Paceroos podcast a couple of times, and that seems to be well-received. But my guess is there are uh, a number of Pacer fans across the world, and Australia has some. And I know there's some of the most dedicated fans we have. And I think I asked him when, when I met with, met with him last week what time the games are. I loved hearing, I think it's a ninth-grade um, student, that he gets the games at 11 a.m. and he's in class and he can turn his phone or his computer on. It's kind of like the old days when we would watch the NCAA tournament during school yeah I it's good to know that you're corrupting the education of
1: a high school sophomore in melbourne australia good job
3: it's the entire experience <laughs> i always say this about school it's not just about what you learn in class it's what you learn uh, you know maybe how to be distracted while you're in class because you're going to do that when you're in the working world as well but i was great it was great to meet those pacers fans and uh, they're lucky to they have a, f- a friend like you, Jake, to take them around and show them those amazing experiences around Indiana. Well,
1: they pay me. Um, <laughs> Jeremiah, off of that, though, this year, Marcus and Michael and Melbourne and Pacer fans in general, Kevin and I were talking about it. You know, I, I, I think this is going to be a fascinating year and probably a fun one because I do think that it's by design that the Pacers, this year for them is not about accumulating the total number of wins but rather finding their way and getting the footprint with young players and then putting themselves in position to probably add one more year of good young talent with it and then pushing all in but i feel like they have enough young talent that they may accidentally win more games than even by design they're intending to you agree with that
3: it's it's a strong possibility i mean that's what makes it
1: fascinating
3: Yeah, and the pressure's off a little bit, and at times when you're not playing with the stress of looking at the standings every day or you lose a game maybe to the Pistons that you feel like you should have won and you worry about how that might affect you in April, I think that will be removed. You know, there's going to be a carefree attitude, not to say that they don't care, but you're going to be a little bit more relaxed. It's a free-flowing game. It's going to be an entertaining game. From what I've seen, in training camp, they're going to play fast. They're going to get out and run, and they're not going to be afraid to let it fly from outside the arc. And I think the roster is constructed a little bit better to be able to take advantage of some of those things. It was an unusual media day for me because for, you know, nine or ten years I've had players come in and I've asked them a line of questions about, you know, shooting for a top-four seed or or trying to, you know, establish that goal to win a playoff series. And I didn't have any of those questions, but still – some of the veterans especially, they they did take offense a little bit to, to where people are picking them. And to your original point, I mean, if you tried out a starting lineup, to me, of, of Tyrese Halliburton and Chris Duarte and Buddy Heald and Miles Turner and Jalen Smith, and you've got Benedict Matherin coming off the bench, I mean, those are those are you know six guys that you may not put up against the top two or three teams in the Eastern Conference. But if anybody takes them for granted, which we know you know, sometimes it will happen in the NBA, there could be a team that – Plays Memphis or plays, you know, an up-and-coming Cleveland squad, and then on the second half of the back-to-back, they're going to play the Pacers. And if they take the Pacers for granted, it'll be an Indiana win. And so there is an opportunity there, especially the way the schedule starts. Uh, there are some favorable matchups as well. So I do look forward to seeing them play as well as they can. They're going to try to get the wins. I mean, Rick Carlisle is coaching to win. At some point in January and February, you'll sort of evaluate where you are and and maybe make some decisions at that point. But I don't think anyone that's practicing is going to go into this season. They they acknowledge the rebuild and you know the the long term plan, but that doesn't necessarily mean you know every game you're you're not trying to win. I mean, you're still trying to win and trying to get better. And part of trying to get better is winning some games.
1: Uh, I was at Ball State on Saturday, Jeremiah. They took on Northern Illinois and. Over I was a mascot, watching, right? Well, that's see the thing. I was watching Charlie Cardinal, which I don't know if Jeremiah is open about the fact that he it took years before he finally came clean and said I was Charlie Cardinal. I think, but um, we know this now, and it's and it's okay. We've worked through that. But Charlie Cardinal was down um, doing like Michael Jackson style dancing with the dance squad for Ball State, and I wondered if you had those kind of moves back then, or did you just simply you know get to wear the uniform because you know you're big down
3: under. Yeah. <laughs> wow! What a loaded question. Oh, this is uh, I did have those dance moves. For those that were Ball State fans in the late '90s, you, you might remember the costume or the feathers were a little bit different than they are now, so it was a little harder to really um show mm-hmm. off those dance okay, moves. I was sure. kind of a, yeah. a confident, Wait, but at times clumsy. Hold on! Cargo. You got to
1: wear the big mascot floppy feet, and you're blaming it on the feathers
3: well feathers was in air quotes there not it's not just the feathers it's you, know, you had there was a lot that went into that costume I mean, i would say my charlie cardinal costume was twice the size of what the current charlie cardinal is so yeah, it looked I a little bit it tougher it was tougher to you know put forth the dance moves but it was still uh i'm glad you were able to share that story with <laughs> with your listeners
0: jj <laughs> last one from me back on topic here um Goga Batadze, Aaron Neesmith. What are your expectations for them this season?
6: Well, they're a little bit
3: different. I would probably say that I'm more you know looking forward to seeing Aaron Nesmith because I would compare him a little bit to Jalen Smith. And when the Pacers got him last February, I think people thought, ah, this, is, this is a favor to Torrey Craig to get him to Phoenix. We'll take Jalen Smith. We'll see what happens. And when you trade Malcolm Brogdon to Boston, you get that future first-round pick. Maybe you do Malcolm Brogdon a little bit of favor. You open up some playing time in your backcourt and you take on Aaron Neesmith and you say, let's see what happens. He's going to get every opportunity to show that he was a lottery pick for a reason. And he does some things out there on the court that, you know, you can't teach. I mean, he's got some real athleticism. Uh, He's been waiting for this opportunity. So, For me, Aaron Nismith, he might have been the second person other than Benedict Mathera that I'm most looking forward to watching tonight and in this preseason. For Gogo Batase, it's probably a little bit different because, to be perfectly honest, it's a crowded front court room and maybe even crowded specifically at the center position. And I think you want to start the season seeing how Halliburton and Miles Turner can play together. You've got Jalen Smith. I'm really intrigued by Terry Taylor playing some backup four. And Isaiah Jackson is someone that this franchise is – you know, one of those guys they're trying to build around. And so by saying all those names, I'm not quite sure where Goga it fits in. He's been injured at times in his Pacers career. So I don't know early in the season, night in, night out, whether you're going to get a chance to see him. But I do know that, you know, the clock is ticking for Goga. He needs to show he can be an NBA player. So I do know that when he does get a chance, and it'll happen. I mean, there'll be injuries and there'll be a chance for him to get in the rotation um, he'll have to, you know, try to make the most of his opportunity to prove he belongs in the NBA. But a little bit different expectation and anticipation level for those two players.
0: So, if I, do I have this right, nothing tonight and nothing Friday on TV for the preseason, and you guys will do next Wednesday and next Friday games.
3: That is correct. And then there will be a Pacers season preview show that'll come out the week of the regular season opener, and then we'll, as always, do our one-hour Pacers live. Pre-game show prior to the season opener. So again, uh, you might be able to search around League Pass. It's the preseason contracts are a little bit different than the regular season contracts. So when once you get to next Wednesday, you can count on probably all, or at least at this point, it sounds like all the games on Valley Sports. And, and this week, uh, just two more days to kind of figure out what's happening and, and, and really devote your attention to Mark Boyle on the radio side of things.
0: Yes. Tonight, six 30. Yeah, coverage boy. will begin uh, right here on the fan. Pat Boylan will lead you into the tonight's with the newly
3: married Pat Boylan. Yes. So, you chaotic. Know, he's back from a, a brief honeymoon and he'll be uh, on the pregame radio side of things at six 30.
0: Yeah. Chaotic little, little wedding there for Pat Boylan. Glad to hear that they're able to get that done and that he will be on the coverage tonight along with Mark Boyle. JJ,
3: as always, thank you. All right. I appreciate it, and shout-out to all my fans in Australia.
0: <laughs> That's right. yeah. Both of them. Down right. under, right? Yep. <laughs> uh-huh. Jeremiah Johnson right there. Mark, are you seeing it's a six-game ticket package? That's the six minimum you've got to buy
2: to get Bally Sports? Yeah. It says six games uh, seems to be the minimum for the Bally Sports six-month. Uh, also, 10-game, half-season, and full-season packages will receive this. You know, a lot of times well. at
1: Bath & Body Works, they've got it's like buy three lotions and then get nine free. Have you
0: ever
2: heard so on that? you got to wait for the semi-annual sale with that stuff. So if
0: you want Bally Sports have- Plus, a.k.a. if you want to watch the Pacers games this season, particularly the road games, uh, and you want complimentary access for six months, you would need to purchase at least a six-game ticket package.
2: That's according to the Indiana Business Journal.
1: Considering the three of us share a a fairly confined area early in the morning, I appreciate your hygienic awareness, even if it's semi-annual. I do. Hey, I shower
2: every day, unlike you two schmucks.
0: Uh, We are up against
2: it. Matt Taylor
0: is going to join us in the 9 o'clock hour.
2: Mark, who have you dialed up here? Static uh, X. New metal band from the early 2000s. New metal? Yeah. As opposed to old metal? i don't know it's n-u dash m-e-t-a-l i don't know okay. it's good stuff it's not bad saw them
1: in concert by the way um i i don't I, I i don't know why i feel compelled to mention this first off uh kevin you wanted to say something right in terms of where people can listen. yeah to just so
0: apologies to everybody that trying to dial us up via the app or even the youtube stream i know is having some struggles on this wednesday morning i think it's Frustrating for us, but certainly, I know, really frustrating for a lot of our listeners that um, go with the alternate routes to find us, especially our out-of-market you know market or out-of-signal audience. So, hopefully, we will get wonders. that solved um, very, very shortly. I would encourage those. Um, the iHeart app, 107.5 The Fan, would probably be your best non-terrestrial radio path to uh, find us. Um
1: this is probably, and I know this is off topic and probably uncomfortable, I apologize, but I I, I I don't know why I feel even compelled to mention this, but there is a tragic story this morning in news at Purdue University in West Lafayette of a homicide of a Purdue student in one of the dormitories, and the roommate of the student has been... Um, Arrested or detained, I, you know. I don't know. There's not a whole lot of more information about it than just that. And and I don't mean to make light of this at all. I, I, I certainly hope it doesn't come off that way. Uh, it, it they are all tragic for sure for certain. Uh, between Indiana and Purdue, which are fine, fine, fine universities and and great places for young people to to grow intellectually, socially, etc. Maybe it's just because we live in Indianapolis and so therefore I don't pay attention to, you know, Auburn and Alabama or Arizona and Arizona State. But it seems like between missing students and tragedy falling upon students at the two universities, the two major universities here in the state, it seems to be an alarmingly high number versus maybe that takes place everywhere and I don't know what that answer is. I don't even know why I'm necessarily mentioning it other than I just looking at it going, my memory is such, I mean, I remember when I was in school all the way back to my freshman year of college, there was an incident at Igaman at IU with a guy who had driven in from Arizona to, for his girlfriend. And, you know, there was a homicide there. And then, you know, there have been very famous cases, sadly in Indiana of young female, um, Co-eds that have been, have gone missing or later turned up as homicide victims. And now this at Purdue. And I, it just, part of it, I may, I don't know. I, I don't know why I'm even bringing it up other than is it just young people at that age? It, there are circumstances in life that that create in danger is present. And maybe it is the case like this on all college campuses. But um, it seems alarming to me, but I certainly, um, you know thoughts obviously with the family of of this young person at, at purdue that we'll learn more about obviously over the next couple of weeks i would assume
0: yeah it's awful i always felt this way about um when i went back to indiana just a few months after lauren spear went missing and i don't know i just always think about this stuff and when i saw that news this morning jake i immediately was like wow one day you know all you know send rosie off to college send max off to college and it's like some of these parents and who knows maybe that was the last time that they correct saw their child's just absolutely awful to your point yeah maybe we're so close to purdue and in indiana that we just hear about it a little bit more um nonetheless it's horrific if those numbers are you know at the same level at other colleges around the united states um Transitioning here, Phil says if you search on the iHeartRadio app, uh, you should use 1070, not 1075. (laughs) And uh, someone else mentioned the TuneIn Radio app has been working well. So TuneIn Radio app, iHeartRadio, both of those avenues. Um, And a little bit more of kind of like an uplifting, if you're looking for something to do on your lunch break today, Um, the Colts produced, I thought, an extremely well-done Look back, it's the 10-year anniversary coming up on Friday of, in my opinion, one of the greatest, frankly, I think one of the greatest moments in Colts franchise history, Um, certainly one of the greatest games inside of Lucas Oil Stadium history, and that would be um, probably known most for Reggie Wayne's orange gloves. Uh, That would be the Colts coming back to beating the Green Bay Packers in the first game that Chuck Pagano missed due to his leukemia battle. Uh, Shout out to the Colts production team. Uh, They got some extremely candid interviews with Reggie Wayne, Andrew Luck, and then I think we heard this a few weeks back, Jake, when we had Chuck Pagano on, but when Chuck was in town along with Bruce Arians for his Chuck Strong event, the Colts got those two together, so it's a two-shot of them uh, on camera sharing their memories from that 2012 season and everything that unfolded, particularly with that Green Bay game. And Chuck was emotional with us. Chuck is extremely emotional on that video. So the Colts YouTube page is where you can find that. Just an awesome, awesome watch. Really, really well done. Um, I find myself thinking back on that game. First off, I can't believe it was 10 years ago. Uh, Secondly, I... I think back to that game, and there's so many memories that kind of flood my brain. I'd say one is, that is a Hall of Fame moment by Reggie Wayne. Over 200 receiving yards against Charles Woodson that afternoon. Some incredible one-handed catches. The go-go gadget kind of like uh, you know, reaching for the end zone just really quickly and, and, and putting the ball over the goal line right before he got hit. Um, and really, that was one of the early moments of the Luck era where you were a 1-2 football team. And not to get like so football-centric with it all, but if you lose that game, I, I don't know, maybe you continue to go down kind of that uneven path of a first-year GM, a first-year head coach, and a first-year quarterback, and instead you win, you come back and you beat a team that had won 15 games the previous year, and you go on to win 11 games. Chuck comes back for the final game of the season, and you make the playoffs. Um, I encourage everyone to watch that.
1: You know, um, the thing I remember the most about that Chuck Pagano game for Reggie Wayne. At the time, I was doing a radio show with Reggie Wayne. And he had the orange gloves. And I can't recall whether it was... I I believe it was one of his college teammates that was playing or, or involved somehow with the Dolphins. I think it was one of the Dolphins players that gave him the orange gloves. It may have been a Cleveland Brown player, but I think it was a Dolphins player. I think that's right. And... Reggie mentions that in the piece. By yeah. Way. Oh, he did. OK, yeah. He wore them because it was the color that was symbolic of um, of leukemia. Right? Leukemia. Yeah. And then the NFL blocked it. Remember, like the next week they told him he couldn't do it because it was in violation. Really? Of, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't remember that. Yeah. He wanted to wear them for the rest of the year. And the NFL prohibited him from doing it because it was not within the dress code of the NFL since it was not. I think he was fined in the first game because it was not within their colors. And so he could not do it from, from there on out. And I, I I get it. I mean, I that seems really harsh, and then you think about it, and you're like, I don't know, then where do you draw the line? And, you know, whatever. But um, it was an unbelievable performance. Yeah, Colts' YouTube page on that.
0: Um, and we mentioned this when we had Chuck on a few weeks ago. That bye week in the 2012 season fell as the earliest bye week in the NFL, if I'm not mistaken. So the Colts were 1-2. So that means it would have been a Week Four bye leading into that Green Bay game. I mean, we just got done with, yeah, we just got done with Week Four in the NFL. No team has had their bye week yet. Uh, the Colts were again the team with the earliest bye week. I I think about this, Jake.
1: Dallas Clark's gloves from Tampa Bay. Would that be right?
0: Oh, really? I, I
1: for some reason I thought Dolphins or Browns. I remember him. I'm certain Reggie had told me that it was the Dolphins, but that that may be right. If the Colts don't have that early
0: bye week, does Chuck Pagano listen to his wife? Does he listen or does he then go to the Colts medical team and say, hey, there are some spots in my body right now that look a little different and I feel really tired. It's a first-time head coach. right? But dreaming of this opportunity. One and two start. Just lost a really tough game the week prior. You add all that up and um, just what a, what a unbelievable moment, the post-game locker room scenes that you'll see uh, in that video and them delivering the game ball to Chuck and, uh, just a really, really special moment, I think in Colts history. So Colts YouTube page for that. Uh, Matt Taylor is going to join us here in about 15 minutes. You see Dan Orlovsky yesterday, Jake, about the Colts. Mm-hmm.
1: You said he was optimistic, right?
0: Dan Orlovsky yesterday tweets this. Counted 36 plays between the Colts' offense and defense that are literally one player doing their job away from being much different results. They aren't as far off as it feels, but you have to have to fix that soon. Only major issue, I feel, is left tackle.
1: Okay, well, here's the thing. Um, You know, I... I In Fernando Alonso's Indy 500, I only counted 78 laps where they had an issue, and the only problem I saw was the front left tire. I, I, I mean, left tackle's fairly important. Arguably the most important position on the field, not named quarterback. And then, secondly, 36 plays. That's like a third of the game, right? I mean, only 36 plays? Yeah. Well, let's go. All right. Sweet. I mean, Jake, not to
0: bring up, you know, it's like Jake saying, well, you know, only a third of that math test was an issue for me. That's correct. Well, you're already down to a six. That's correct.
4: Now, the big. Oh, my God.
0: So, I don't know. Maybe we're taking the glass half full and we're immediately turning it to glass half empty. I've said this before about left tackle, but I think it's worth mentioning it again. That mistake to me has been a multi-year, uh, kind of a multi-year building sort of mistake. When Anthony Costanzo first flirted with retirement, that should have been the red flag. We need a draft to draft a tackle. We need to try and develop someone. Like Matt Pryor was literally stunned when the Colts told him that they wanted to move him to left tackle and that they thought he could be a starter. When the guy that you're asking to do the job is stunned, is that not a red flag? That's,
1: that's usually a bit of an indicator that there could be an <laughs> is issue. Is that
0: not alarming? I I would like to see Bernard Ryman in there. Not tomorrow night, I think. Prior will probably be the guy because you haven't practiced all week long. But next week when you get that additional practice coming back from the mini-bye week, if Prior and Ryman are going to be about the same, play the rookie.
1: That's totally fair, yeah. I mean, at some point, I'm Bernard
5: Ryman and I'll be back.
1: Heck yeah. That pause gets me every time. At some point and the, I look, I think the Colts could win tomorrow night. I do because I think Denver's got the same issues that Indianapolis does. But if they come back, if they don't win Kevin at least two of these next three at Denver, Jacksonville, and then at Tennessee. If they don't if they don't win two of those three, then at some point you start moving to the future, don't you? And you just you just say, you know what? It's I mean, can okay, you, if it, if you lose
0: if you lose two of three, if you lose three, Jake, you know you get to that trade deadline end of October. Do you become a seller? That, yeah, possibly. It's stuff that I know internally probably isn't even being discussed about right now. But those are questions you have to have. Look, if if it goes down that path. Some people were asking about Bernard Ryman. I'll sneak this in, Jake, before you you go. Um, Ryman's been dealing with an ankle injury. He rotated in the first two weeks. Still getting back to full speed on that. I think that's part of the reason why we haven't seen him in there
1: more. The the thing about broken record here, I realize, the teams that the Colts are looking towards to stay on pace with in the Um, AFC – Buffalo, Kansas City, the Bengals. I don't know that I'd say New England, Baltimore certainly. Um, who else am I missing here? And I mean, obviously Tennessee, right? Um, Jacksonville, maybe. But if you look at those teams, Kevin, Miami. Now Miami drafted Tua. Did they move up, or did they organically have the fifth overall pick?
0: I believe organically.
1: Okay. Cincinnati organically had the number one overall pick, and Joe Burrow was there.
0: And the Chargers took
1: Herbert right after Tua. The Chargers moved up to get Justin Herbert, correct?
0: God, Mark, would you would you look that up? For some reason, I'm thinking those three teams kind of stayed pat. Okay. I well, honestly that's... thought the, the one tr- 2020 draft— the, yeah. I thought the one trade really somewhat early would have been the Colts at 13 trading that pick
1: for DeForest Buckner. The Bills traded to move up to get to Josh Allen. Correct. The Chiefs traded to move up to get to Patrick Mahomes. Huge trade up by the Chiefs. The Ravens took Lamar Jackson when a lot of people passed on him or when the Ravens probably had need elsewhere.
0: And they traded... Up to get Lamar Jackson,
1: they did trade up to get him. Okay, and they still took. And they took him again. Bill Polian said he's a receiver, right? Um, my point being, yes, it is not easy to get a quarterback, and teams searched long, 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 and hard, and, and far and wide to do so. But there is also plenty There's equally the number of precedent, if that makes sense. Of teams that saw their guy and went out and got him, and did what they had to do to put themselves in position to get a quarterback, and the ask the Cleveland Browns the going out and just recycling eight-year veterans with two years left on their in their lifespan over and over and over it just it doesn't work. At some point, you got to bite the bullet and say, you know what, we're we're, we're getting after this. There is – the quarterback position is going to be for the Colts in this year's upcoming draft, and I can't believe it's October and we're talking 2023 draft, but the quarterback position is going to be the receiver – if Chris Ballard thought he got tired of hearing people talk about wideouts heading into this draft, let me tell you something. The quarterback's available in this year's upcoming draft – I don't care if the Colts all of a sudden here get hot and win the Super Bowl and as a result are drafting 28th. They, they've they got to package players together to move up and get a quarterback, period, because you can't keep going and buying people's Lexuses that have 195,000 miles on them. Eventually, you've got to bite the bullet, trade in your car, and... Throw in your flat-screen television, if need be, to get yourself a car that is new to you.
2: I think you're also seeing that wide receivers are first-round talent ready. You've seen all these guys that are going in the first round, you're like, wow, that's a rich prize to to do. But you see, like, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, all these guys that are number one first-round picks. Like, there's talent there. Like, wouldn't you love to have one of those guys on the Colts? You have to start using your draft capital for those guys as well, I feel like. You know,
0: I've, obviously people understand that Chris Bauer and I disagree on the wide receiver position. We disagree even more on how you acquire a quarterback. By far. Um, I've said it from day one. The moment Andrew Luck retired, at that point, every single resource has to go into how do we get the next guy, when do we get the next guy, because until you have that, you create a ceiling on your franchise. And the Colts have had a ceiling on their franchise throughout the last, I guess now four seasons of you can only get so high with your with your current quarterback group. And even if you get to that ceiling, like let's say for some reason the Matt Ryan thing worked out or works out. The Colts turn it around, the Colts win, you know, eleven games, they win the AFC South, they, you know, win a playoff game, and then they lose to the Chiefs in the divisional round of the playoffs. Next year, same thing. Well, then Matt Ryan retires. And now you're scramble mode. Now you're okay. You, you continue to get back to the same sort of question you've had since 2019. And yesterday I mentioned it. Jim Ursay has lofty goals for the franchise. And I know that it, it seems a bit ludicrous at times, but he wants two Super Bowls in a decade. And I, I feel like, okay, if that's his goal, then if you're the general manager, The best way to try and achieve that is to go out and find a young quarterback that you build with, you grow with, and that is your guy. That is the mainstay because more than any other position on the football field, it's quarterback that can cover up other deficiencies. Whereas now, you've got a roster where quarterback is is a question, and you've got other positions that are also deficient in certain areas, and you don't have the one guy at the most important position in sports. To hide, mask some of those other flaws, where you can get away with it. The Colts can't get away with it right now.
1: They're they're going to win in Denver, though, aren't they? Which I mean, I'm not saying I don't want them to, but the, but watch, Denver's having the same issues, man. I'm I mean, the you.
0: spread's only three. I, I don't I don't think it would be a shocking upset by any. I mean, Denver is struggling, and Russell Wilson's hurt. Right shoulder injury. I, I don't think anyone ever wants to see that for their
1: quarterback. Right shoulder. He says he's A-OK,
2: right? Yeah, but you put one hit on that shoulder. No, who, Any idea who the Broncos' backup quarterback is? Is it Mark Rippon's son, Brett? Ding, ding, ding. By the way,
0: and I, I'm not... Is that Mark Rippon's son? I have no idea.
1: I mean, I would assume so. I, I am not trying to belittle the person who just asked this because i get asked this a lot no not a zero absolutely not etc it as many ways as you can emphatically deny something everyone here in indianapolis needs to understand the colts are not tanking for arch manning he is a senior in high school. He has to play a minimum of three years of college football before he's even eligible for the draft. There is, I don't care if he is Peyton Manning, John Elway, Barry Sanders, Dick Buckus, Lawrence Taylor, Arch. and Jerry Rice all wrapped into one. There is not a single player in the history of football that a team will sacrifice four consecutive seasons to wait
2: on. Unless it's Mike Ditka and uh, you know, Ricky Williams. Uh, give it all up i need (laughs) him that was kind of i mean ricky williams is what like the fourth overall yeah uh brett rippon the nephew of mark rippon former colt mark Mm rippon
0: something to watch tomorrow night uh another thing to watch on denver for tomorrow javante williams are starting running back towards acl on sunday he's out melvin gordon is the backup i think we all know the name melvin gordon veteran wisconsin running back Um, He has fumbled five times in his last 44 rushing attempts. Are he and Matt Ryan comparing notes? I was going to say, can you bet
1: on who has more fumbles tomorrow night, Matt Ryan or Melvin Gordon? (laughs) There probably is something, uh, and if you can, I'm hoping you do it on the DraftKings Sportsbook app, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Um, Probably you can wager that, yes.
0: Matt Taylor is going to join us in five minutes. I do want to mention this point from Drew because I think it's a really good point to make with this. Drew goes, I'm all about trading up for your guy, especially in this draft. But let's not forget that for every Mahomes and Herbert you just named, there is a Darnold, Baker, Daniel Jones to counter. Without question, Drew, and I want to make this very clear. It's not easy to find the guy, but if you want a franchise that is going to give you the best chance for sustained success over a decade, it's the path you have to take. It's not the easiest path to necessarily maneuver or find, but you've got to go that path. NFL history would indicate that, particularly this day and age of NFL history. So it's not easy. I don't think anyone is saying it's easy, but it's part of why teams like Buffalo and Kansas City right now feel as good as they do about their franchise Kansas City for the last five years and moving on, Buffalo for the last couple of years, and moving on here into the
1: 2020s. By the way, somebody just asked me, whatever happened to Jacob Eason? I believe he is on the Panthers practice squad, correct? Is that where he's at now? I believe that's correct. 99.999% certain that he is on a practice squad, uh, hoping that Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield don't work it out. Whatever happened to PJ Walker? Colts
0: preseason darling. Wasn't he with the Panthers at one
1: point? He, he He's bounced around. Who's the one that was with the Colts like seven different times in pre? Like, he was the Drew Haddad of quarterbacks. I think it was PJ Walker. Uh, yeah, yeah. Shorter guy, right? Yep. On
0: yeah. again, off again. Pride of Temple, PJ Walker. Um, all right, morning checkdown before Matt
4: and Taylor. The morning checkdown. Oh, my no. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On three five and 107.5, The
1: Fan.
2: P.J. Walker, the second-string quarterback for the Panthers, right? Really? Yeah. So, Jacob Eason's mind, P.J.
1: Walker, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, right? And, and Darnold, Corral, Turf, right? And Corral and, and Corral, Corral Darnold. Jeez. Okay. Uh, by the way, Major League Baseball yesterday, Aaron Judge, number 62, Yanks split a doubleheader with the Texas Rangers. The Blue Jays and Orioles were rained out. They will make that up in the doubleheader, which is totally weird because the Blue Jays are like, hey, we got playoffs to get to, and the Orioles are like, yeah, we got crab cakes. What else, Kev? Uh, Pacers preseason home opener. Where's the swoosh, Mark? Come on, get with it. Oh, man, I keep on saying home opener.
0: Uh, by the way, Major League playoffs will begin on Friday. Today's the final day of the regular season. Uh, Pacers preseason opener is tonight in Charlotte. Your only way to access that, outside of NBA League Pass, which I assume will be blacked out here locally, would be our airwaves. Six thirty. Our coverage will begin. Pacers and Hornets tip off at seven o'clock as a new era of Pacers basketball begins tonight. And uh, Colts injury report from yesterday. Again, still no Jonathan Taylor. We'll talk with Matt Taylor about that here coming up. Um, Taylor, I guess in the good news department is this. The Colts don't feel like he would further damage the ankle injury if he were to play on Thursday night. Um, He was in a walking boot yesterday watching the teams walkthrough. This sounds like a decision that will go down to the wire before kickoff. Uh, if the Colts bring up Phillip Lindsey from their practice squad, they need to make that move happen by 4 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. So that's something to keep an eye on with the Colts. All right, Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, joins us next. Off to Denver. I believe later this afternoon is one Matt Taylor. with a Thursday night game, we bump him up to... Wednesday and appreciate him for being flexible with us may I offered a glass I handed a glass of half full orange juice to Colts fans um yesterday via the schedule the next six games all against teams with records at 500 or worse if I asked you for a glass of half full right now with the Colts where would you point
6: oh man good question um you know, I think glass half full would be, you know, second half adjustments, especially within the defense, you know, because on on, you know, on Sunday in the third and fourth quarter, the Colts only gave up. I think it was 38 total net yards um, to Tennessee. And, you know, so I, I think you kind of look at that two ways, you know, great that they make adjustments, but what's going on in the first half? You know, why, why can't you play good football and complimentary football in the first half of these games and, you know, point to the resiliency of the team, You know, that's a good thing. Um, That's a glass half full where they're never completely out of games. You know, you saw that in week one in Houston and then on Sunday against Tennessee where they were down 21, pulled within seven, had a chance to to tie had they not fumbled in plus territory. Um, So I guess those are glass half full things, but I know fans don't like to hear that. And, you know, I don't like talking about it, to be quite honest with you, because there's a lot to clean up and there's still – a ton of room for improvement within this team. I still think you're you're talking about self-infliction and, and self-forced errors in a lot of these games and not getting off to quick starts, not being able to put your best foot forward to start these games where, you know, the Colts have been outscored 27-10 to 10 in the first quarter and 65-23 in the first half of these games. So I think, you know, if you if, – now, you, you you try to you try to draw conclusions on a team through four games in. That's, a, I think, a big enough sample size because you've played roughly a quarter of your season here in a 17-game schedule. You know, the Colts, I think, so far are a better second-half team than they are first-half team, which is quite, quite um, you know, I think in, in contrast of, of what they've been in the past under Frank Reich. You know, from 2018 to 2021, they were such a good starting team in the first quarter um, so it's, right now you're just trying to kind of put it all together. But I guess if you're going glass half full right now, it would be the defense's ability to get stops in the second half and the team's resiliency to fight their way back into these games. They're going to need that towards the end of this season because they're going to be in those situations again. But uh, I think the bigger question is how do you get off to better starts?
1: Matt, when you look at the Colts' season so far and the frustration thereof, uh is it like looking in the mirror when you look at denver because i was telling kevin this morning i get the impression that the two guys that are doing morning radio in denver and uh, in, inevitably better than we uh probably are having a similar conversation about their franchise correct
6: yeah they're 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 off to a rocky start too or, or at least an uneven beginning right because they're two and two and it's funny I Is I, that I a watched, play on I words I,
0: with a rocky start. <laughs> oh yeah,
6: I didn't even think about that. See, I'm I'm smarter than I look. Um I, feel like I, got no, two I mean jakes I I watched I watched I watched the first quarter of their game on on Monday night football in on week one against Seattle. I'm thinking to myself, geez, Denver's pretty good. You know, they're moving the ball really well and uh, you know, they got some stops on defense and then it just hasn't been that consistent for them. I know they've got a boatload of injuries going into this game and that that's you know sort of what kind of um, makes it I mean injuries for for both teams you know anytime you talk about a Thursday night game that's always a storyline I mean Javante Williams is banged up they're banged up along their offensive line with Quinn Minards and um, you know Graham Glasgow has had to start at right guard for them the last three games you know Randy Gregory is going to miss some time so they've got a lot of injuries the Colts are dealing with injuries with Shaquille Leonard and uh, Jordan Taylor, or excuse me, Jonathan Taylor, and then Julian Blackman in the back end. Um, so that that's going to be a big storyline in this game: is is who can play, who's available, and and what percentage are they out there on the field? Given the fact that they played you know four days earlier on Sunday, um, but yeah, Denver's kind of in the same boat as the Colts, looking for consistency, looking to put it all together, and trying to find some answers on offense because both of these teams. Uh, just quite frankly, have not been very good putting up points. You know, the Colts, uh, 14 points a game for the Colts, around 16 points a game for Denver. You know, on paper, the winner of this game is going to win it, you know, 20 to 17 or 16 to 13. It might be a an old-fashioned defensive struggle. Both defenses are pretty good. Um, so maybe this kind of lends itself to a grinder on Thursday night football.
0: He's Matt Taylor. He's voice of the Colts. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I do think Jonathan Taylor will certainly try and do everything he can to give it a go on Thursday night. Let's say he misses his first game in years due to injury. Naeem Hines, Deion Jackson, Phillip Lindsey. If I threw out the number of 25 carries and I said Lindsay got 15 of those on Thursday night, Hines got 10 while still being kind of in his versatile Hines role, albeit he hasn't done that a whole lot this year. And Deion Jackson was primarily still a special team guy. Is that something that you could see, or do you believe I've got those carry numbers a little bit off?
6: Yeah, that's that's a great question, and I don't know. I don't know if I have the, the right answer for it because since Jonathan Taylor's been here, you know, we haven't had that situation pop up. And in, in training camp and during the preseason, um, you know, at times it was Lindsey, the number two. At other times it was Deion Jackson. And then to start the season, it's Lindsey on the practice squad, primarily because he's not all that much involved on special teams. So that that is a, that is a great question. And plus, you know, they're they're not practicing this week. So the media is not out there to watch, you know, the first couple of periods of, of warm-ups or – Uh, individual drills and for that matter lindsey still has to be called up off the practice squad in order for that to happen which that hasn't had uh, happened yet and there's no guarantee that's going to take place so um, i think that's a logical conclusion considering lindsey's experience and the fact that he has been a bell cow running back before he has been a 1,000-yard rusher in the past, and it would be a cool story, if nothing else, right, going back to Denver where he grew up, he went to high school there, went to Colorado. It was a great story as an undrafted free agent, making his hometown NFL team with the Broncos and, and you know, making the Pro Bowl as a rookie. It would be a great story. Um, but I, I also, too, just personally, I, I love the way that Lindsey runs the football. He runs, it, he runs it mad. He runs it angry. He is downhill. Uh, Doesn't it fumble. You know, there's, there's that, that's, that's a huge part of it, no doubt. Um, But I, I, that's, you know, saying that the Colts, I think also really like Deion Jackson and Deion Jackson, I think is more of a runner uh, in in a mold of a Jonathan Taylor, you know, where he's going to be able to maybe break one or be patient and read things at the line of scrimmage, you know, cut off blocks and, and maybe make yards when, when they're tough to come by whereas, again, Lindsey is just downhill. And I think there's something to be said for, for both of those styles situationally. So I, th- I think that's the biggest question going into this game. Should Jonathan Taylor not play, who is the primary running back, and how do they divvy up those carries between those three guys, knowing full well, too, that, that you want to involve Naeem Hines in the passing game, too. So I really think it boils down to Lindsey or Dion Jackson. But, again, that's a big if because – Lindsay still would need to be brought up off the practice squad. And there's so many things that go into that too. You know, where is Taylor today? Where is he going to be tomorrow? And I think they have until four o'clock tomorrow afternoon to make that decision on Lindsay being bumped up from the practice squad. So there's a lot of things that are still going to need to be, you know, they need to evolve greatly between now and, and, you know, tomorrow afternoon, you know, three or four hours before the game.
1: You know, the release of Desmond Patman yesterday Matt, I, not so much surprised by that as much as it surprised me a little bit that they would further deplete the receiving core. Am I being too critical?
6: Well, it's it's always tough because, you know, he, Chase McLaughlin was out of those designations or, you know, bump-ups, if you will, from the practice squad to the active roster. You can only do that three times. So that, that was maxed out. So now if, if he's going to be on this team as a kicker, you know he's got to be on the team. You you can't keep bringing him up from the practice squad. So someone had to go, and that's always a really tough situation when you are relatively healthy as a football team, which the Colts are. You know, out, out outside of those guys we just talked about with Taylor and Leonard. Um, but it, it it's I think it's one of those things where you know which which of the position groups can we sacrifice a player you know, because if you look at the inactives the last couple of weeks, Patman's been on that list, and so now you still you still have five healthy, reliable wide receivers on your team, and so I just think it, it kind of boiled down to a numbers game and roster mechanics, you know, with everybody relatively healthy here, someone had to go, and unfortunately that guy was Desmond Patman, but he's got until today, this afternoon, to clear waivers, and the Colts would love to bring him back, but considering he is a pretty good player that I think can play for a lot of teams in the league and serve a purpose, um, that that may not happen. So we'll see how that plays out.
0: Speaking of wideouts and voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor is with us here. Um, last one for me. It's been quite impressive to see the Alec Pierce that, unfortunately, uh, Notre Dame and IU football fans saw uh, tear them apart in college, do the same on those go-routes here the last couple of weeks um, I, I just feel like that ball, the Matt Ryan to Alec Pierce ball, kind of the 50 50 opportunity down the sideline, the fact that Pierce has shown that the ability to come down with it at the NFL level is massive for the Colts. And I think it's huge for his development. It should help him open up maybe some other things in the passing game. And to me, Matt, that's got to be a staple of the game plan at least one, if not two of those balls every week. Yeah.
6: Yeah. It's, it's huge to open up the running game. And, and to take, even if you don't complete those passes, you know, it sends a message right. that we, we, we've got these in our arsenal and you've got to respect that. In the that. back and of
0: your I, mind I, is a I, corner. you got to think that's always there.
6: Uh, I could not agree more. And I think it's huge for this team to open up, you know, take some shots, open up the playbook, and get some chunk plays and just be able to trust a guy that young to make those plays. I think he's got, what, three catches on the season and he missed a game uh, over at least 20 yards. And he's got one over 30 and another 44 the other day. And he's making them in acrobatic fashion. And to your point, that's exactly what he did last year at Cincinnati, where he's going, he's climbing over guys, you know, sort of climbing on top of the corner or the defender and going up and, and over and making a con- contested catch, or uh, he's able to get separation. And that ball to, to, um, to, to Pierce the other day in plus territory on that last drive before the fumble, you know, he got separation, but it was also a little bit underthrown but he was able to get enough separation and high point it and bring it down. So it is so important. And I throw in Jelani Woods too. Those two, you know, young pass catchers, if you will, for this team are coming along. And that is so important for the health of this offense, especially in the red zone. You know, the tight ends have four touchdowns combined in the last two games, you know, all red zones uh, with Woods and, and Mo Cox, And then you throw in the deep ball game that you have there with Alec Pierce. That is so big for this offense they need to capitalize on that and that has to be part of of what they're going to try to do on on Thursday night in Denver is to take some shots even if you don't complete them it's big for the respect of that defense to to respect that and to know you've got that in your arsenal and hopefully that'll open up some things in the running game and this offensive line can get some push on play action
1: Matt I apologize on my lack of recollection here have you called a game in Denver before
6: I've been to Denver three times. Um, we haven't played there since 2016. So I've been there. I've been in the radio booth, but I've never been behind the mic for play-by-play uh, in Denver.
1: I'll tell you why I ask. The first time that I went to Denver, I was in college, and I went with some buddies. I was a freshman in college, and we were playing pickup basketball, and I was on the sidelines, and they knew that I was an aspiring you know, radio broadcaster or whatever, and I'd done play-by-play in high school. So for fun, they asked me to do play-by-play. And it was the day that I got there, and, like, I was, like, jumbled doing it. I know it sounds weird. Not not maybe only I noticed it, but it took a second to catch my breath, like, in the fast pace of talking that takes place in play-by-play. And there's no way to, to know this a- ahead of time, but I will be curious. So put this in your hip pocket. I'm going to ask you next time we talk to you after the game – whether or not the altitude did affect you in doing the broadcast i'll be curious i'm I'm sure
6: it will no i'm sure it will i mean yeah that that's that's i mean i've noticed it even when i haven't done play-by-play you know being down there on the field um you know you i I don't know if i got necessarily winded per se but you know when i when i did speak um I, i did notice a I don't know what the right term would be. You know, shortness of breath. It's or weird. Like it. Like not I, not, not, not not as much o- oxygen coming totally. in at one time. I don't know what it is. Right.
0: Packing the oxygen mask. Voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor. <laughs> Two games in five days. Our coverage will begin tomorrow. Uh, what is that? Five o'clock, Scotty. Our coverage for tomorrow. Five thirty. Five thirty. Our coverage will begin tomorrow, and kickoff comes at eight fifteen. Maytay, safe travels and enjoy the quiet weekend.
6: I appreciate you guys. Be well. Thank you.
0: That's Matt Taylor right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. We do have a pop quiz coming up, 317-239-1070. Mark, I know Blake's been hanging in there. Let's let's sneak in Blake uh, before we get to the pop quiz.
6: What's up, Blake? Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me on. So, I had kind of an interesting thought when you guys were talking about the Pacers this morning. So, I've noticed, you know, over the past few years since the Pacers hit the reset button, that fans have kind of backed off of. There hasn't been, uh, you know, much animosity between the Indianapolis fans and Pacers. So I'm thinking that the Colts should maybe take a similar approach, you know, Uh, like look at the Pacers. They brought in Rick Carlisle, someone obviously who's been here, someone who's won a championship in Dallas. They brought in a trustworthy head coach. And then they were open and honest about it. You know, they got, uh, Chris Duarte, they got uh, they got Ben Mathurin. Like they've officially done that. They've brought in young talent, and Indianapolis has been okay with it. So I'm thinking that you know this off season, Jim Irsay should maybe take some notes from the Pacers and kind of follow their approach. Just wanted to see your guys' thoughts on that. Totally.
1: I, look, I've said the same. I agree. The Pacers give them credit. Pacers they, have offered hope. They've been transparent and just saying, look, here's what we're doing, and I think that's all people have asked. Right? Don't fool me. Uh, you know, don't. Don't try to play me for a fool. And, look, people might get tired of it in mid-January if the Pacers are 15-47 and 47 or whatever, but at least they know what the game plan is. Right. The Colts, it's tough to figure out what the game plan the Pacers
0: is. Pacers have adopted more of a modern approach with young guys, a little bit more position-centric to today's NBA. I can't say the same thing for the Colts right now. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. All right, Pop Quiz is next, three one seven two three nine ten seventy
4: have you studied can you handle the pressure sharpen your pencils it's time for the pop quiz with kevin and inquiry brought to you by jiffy lube indiana's favorite oil change since 1985
1: the beauty of a jiffy lube oil change is it's fast it's efficient and that's exactly what we're gonna have to be on the pop quiz here because we're up against it so we go immediately to mike who joins us on the program? Trying to get a Jiffy Lube oil change, Mike. How are you? What's going on, guys? Not a lot. I apologize. Two minute drill, my guy. But we got to do this in two minutes. So, question number one AL- for you, Mike: The last time a division had multiple one hundred win teams was last season. Which division boasted two one hundred win teams last year in Major League Baseball? AL East, NL West, NL East, or AL West? AL East. Mike, number two, Aaron Judge. Homer to lead off the second game of the doubleheader
0: yesterday. Only one other player, Major League history, led off a game by hitting a home run for number 50 of the season or later. Name the player, Andrew Jones, Willie Mays, Brady Anderson, or Luis Gonzalez.
1: Go, Brady Anderson. Luis Gonzalez had more than 50? On this day in 2001, Barry Bonds hit homers 71 and 72 to break McGuire's Major League record. He homered in Dodger Stadium. Off what pitcher did he homer? Terry Mulholland, Chan Ho Park, Kevin Brown, or James Baldwin?
6: What year was that? Oh,
1: 01. Uh, it was in a ballpark. Was it uh, Terry Mulholland in 2001? Chan Ho Park, Kevin Brown, or James Baldwin?
6: Kevin Brown.
0: All right. 1920. Babe Ruth set a new Major League home run record when he hit 54 dingers. No American League team hit more than 50 home runs that season. Only one National League team did hit more than what Babe hit in 1920. Was it the New York Giants, Chicago Cubs, Cardinals
1: or Phillies?
6: Phillies. Oh, no, Cardinals.
3: Cardinals. No, no, go, oh, go, go,
1: with your, go with your gut. Go with your gut. Go with your gut. Okay. okay. Phillies, Phillies. Uh, Seattle Mariners catcher Luis Torrens pitched the top of the 10th and picked up the win as the Mariners scored in the bottom of the 10th to beat the Tigers yesterday. He is the first position player other than Shohei Atani to earn a pitching win since 2014. Name the team that had a position player pick up that win in 2014? I will tell you, it was catcher John Baker. Was it for the Cubs, Rockies, Rays, or Tigers? I will tell you, it was probably a day game.
6: Mike? Uh, let's go with the Tigers.
1: Okay. Uh, it was actually the Cubs. The other answers: is Phillies, Ho Park, the NL West, and Brady Anderson. You blew it! Mike, call again. You sound like a
0: good dude. Felt like Joey Chestnut there trying to get those final few hot dogs down. We'll talk Colts, Broncos, Thursday Night Football tomorrow. Pacers recap.